It's like a never-ending cycle of new rabbit holes. Everybody's nice when things are going well. But what about when it's not going well? What about when your business is under pressure? What about when you're stressed? If you've had my back, I've got yours, even if we're not on good terms. That dark times or hard times or when it doesn't make sense anymore, that's what keeps me going. What's up, guys? And welcome back to First Things First. Today, I'm very happy to have a guest, Reese Wabara. Long time coming. I've been trying to chase him down for a while, but the timing wasn't right. But he's here in Dubai and we're going to get it done. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. How are you Good doing? Good to see you. I'm cool. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Good. It's been a little while taking a break from the podcast, but uh, we're back for season two. Good. I'm happy so I'm, to be I'm, on I'm, it. I'm buzzing. What brings you to Dubai? Uh, it's just the annual trip, a bit of business um, and a little bit of sunshine uh, before Black Friday and the madness of Q3 effectively, well, Q4 effectively. So yeah, it's just an annual trip. Um, there's fashion shows going on here and good people to meet. So yeah, just my annual trip. So I imagine that quarter is the busiest time of the year for you. Yeah, I think so. It's for most people, um, especially in fashion, Christmas and January sales, if, if you partake in them. So yeah, it's, it's a important period. So I know it's probably annoying for you to go through everything again, but I need to do this for the of listeners course. who don't know who you are and what you're about. So you were originally a football player. Mm-hmm. That was your thing for the early part of your life, would you say? Yeah, yeah. From uh, turned professional at nineteen, and I retired at twenty six. So yeah, big portion of my twenties. You got you got signed to Man City when you were sixteen. I think even earlier, earlier yeah, fourteen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How does that? Because I'm curious to know how does that happen at such a early age. I was playing for Warsaw, I believe, at the time, which is um, a Midlands club. I think they was in League One at the time, and I guess I was playing pretty well. And uh, yeah, just a scout from a few teams actually was interested. And at the time, uh, Manchester City was renowned for their academy and bringing through young talent. This was before the takeover, well, multiple takeovers. And um, yeah, it was just a, a move that made sense in terms of my development and possibilities of obviously becoming a professional footballer at a, a mid-level Premier League team at the time. Obviously, it changed a lot over the years when I was there. But yeah, I guess, you know, just playing well, a bit of luck along the way as always. And yeah, that's just how it, how it happened. So I guess at that age, you almost see your how your life is going to pan out. Mm. Like you've got you've already got signed by a very decent club at a young age. So do you, at this point, you think, okay, football is going to be my thing. Like that's how it's going to be for a large chunk of my life. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think about, about business or fashion and probably until six months before I decided to create the brand. Um, yeah, football was my life. It was my dad's dream. It was my dream. The dreams change, I guess, and you've got to just uh, go with what your instinct tells you. And in my case, it was like, this is what I was made to do in terms of be a businessman or be um, in fashion or, you know, explore my natural creative flair and maximize it effectively and... uh yeah, I think you've just got to listen to the inner child in you. And even when I trace it back to when I was very young, I was always dressing very interesting for a young man. And obviously I had no, um, there was no Instagram or social media there as a point of reference. It was just me. Uh, I don't know where I got that from, but it was always the case. And even on the business aspect, I remember my dad telling me like, oh, he was always selling Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards. He was, you know, I think DHK, which is still a thing when I was like, 14, 15, I found you could get like uh, fake Adidas trainers on there and I would take them into school. Um, even, <laughs> even, selling face. <laughs> literally. Even when I played football for Man City, which is crazy. I remember Dolce & Cabana had a moment in, uh, 
when I said, I don't know, the day when I was like 17, 18. And I would be able to get like the Dolce & Gabbana tracksuit from uh, DH Gate, sell it in the change room and people were loving it. Even when Yeezys came out, mm. I was a hustler. Um, and it was, I didn't know I was a hustler, but I was in the sense of buy low, sell high. Uh, mm. Very simple. Or supply and demand curves. And that was always what came natural to me. I was always able to make money from many things. And uh, fortunately, fashion was my natural. Yeah, I don't think many footballers have that trait. I would imagine, have you seen the, the Beckham documentary? Yeah, incredible. Netflix? Yeah, incredible. you like it? Yeah, incredible. Yeah, because I'm, I'm tr- trying to, do, did you ever see yourself in David's situation when he was a kid? Like, did you relate a lot to that? You know, his dad being super into the football, training his kid? No, um, and that's why he was much better than I was. Mm. Uh, I think mine, obviously I liked football. Did I love it like him? No. Mm. And I think that's why ultimately it didn't go to the level I think I was naturally athletically gifted, um, which helps a lot naturally. That was that's a genetic thing, and of course, technically I was decent too. Um, but unless you've got that burning desire, which he his dad had, he had Sir Alex Ferguson saw that in him. Mm. There's always going to be a, a limit. To, it was it was just an obsession, wasn't it? Yeah, there's always a limit. Most to how athletes far you can have go. that. No, they don't. The, the best, best one, the best one. Yeah, and it's the best in every mm-hmm. field, whether that's your field, my field. Unless you're obs- uh, have an obsession, there's a limit to what you can do because mm. most people like football like I did. And then you also want to be a footballer or you want to choose an op- occupation as a kid, mostly, especially as a man, based on how much you earn. So whilst people do like football, it also pays a lot. So the like is driven by, mm. you know, the, the gains. So even as a far, as a father, my dad probably wanted to me to be a footballer <laughs> because he thinking, Oh, well, it pays well. So. I feel like a lot of people's mastery or uh, improvement stops when you get that financial reward and then you see how good people really are. And I guess they're comfortable. Yeah. And in my case, I mean, I never earned nothing in the grand scheme of footballers. I mean, I think the most I earned was like 3K a week, which is good money in the real world, but yeah. far Especially from life. back then. Yeah. But far from life changing. I'm, I'm still going to, if, if that was all I ever earned for my career, I'm in trouble. I mean, I didn't earn more than that. So, um, and even I got a little bit comfortable from, in the grand scheme of things, was 150k a year, which that's going to last you for life. Mm. How can I get comfortable from that, which I did incorrectly? So give someone a 200k a week, whatever. Did you have a lot of people saying like you were really good as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was at Man City. Uh, I was playing for England. Uh, I had uh, managers telling me I'm going to play for England's national team. You're the next thing. And yeah, I look back now and I'm like, it's, it's all hindsight's a wonderful thing, but um, when people tell you that as a kid, of course it gets your head and everyone's telling you you're great. Of course it mm. gets your head. And it wasn't like I didn't train hard. I did, but there's train hard and then there's do extras. There's train hard and then there's analyze yourself and be critical and take it to the next level. And mine was go up, show up, do what you got to do, go home. And that was mm. it. And I don't think that's enough to be great. I saw one of your tweets. You said it's better to be underrated than overrated. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I think um, in my position now, whether I'm underrated or overrated, I believe I'm underrated in the sense of the, what the business has achieved. And obviously me at the helm of it isn't, I'm not spoke about, which is absolutely fine. I prefer it that way, but that's what keeps me going to that next level and keeps everyone in the business going to the next level because we know what we do. Um, of course, the numbers don't lie, but even my staff, they don't get the, the accolades they deserve. So that underdog mentality, which I guess if you're going back to the the 
um, Beckham documentary, Sir Alex Ferguson ingrained in his team and his culture is what kept people fighting. And I think, mm. yeah, I prefer it that way. And I want it to remain that way. Um, I see a lot of people get overrated and it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because it's like the expectation is just so high that mm. it's, it's very, very difficult to deliver sometimes. And most people can't live up to the expectation. The expectation placed on people is false, especially with young players or, you know, even the new brand, like everyone assumes it's going to be here forever. Mm. And you've got people telling you, you're great. You've got expectations. You don't even know if you can meet mm. and the pressure is overwhelming. It happens in artists too. You know, you've got this oh, new singer, yeah. he or she is supposed to be the next big thing. Their first album's incredible. Can you keep it up? And as you see with most people, they have one good album, one good season, one good anything. And then all of a sudden, psh, nothing. Yeah. And the pressure's too much or they was never what people made them out to be. It's better to just be slow, steady, go under the radar a little bit, get respect in some areas, but be overlooked in others because it keeps you on job. Um, That's why I rate Drake. Like he's, I mean, he's put out some of the albums have been better than others, mm -hmm. but the fact he's been around yeah. and he's been on top of his game for so many years, like, you can't not respect that. Oh, no. In incredible. He's getting a lot of flack now, though, for his last what did, album. What did you think of the album? Terrible. <laughs> uh, and I'm a, I'm a huge Drake fan. I think he's unbelievably talented, incredibly uh, incredibly smart. Um, also, seemingly, I don't know the person, but at that level of fame and that level of wealth seems like a normal mm. person. And I think anybody getting to those heights financially or fame especially to maintain his sanity is uh, incredible. He seems like a good guy. But, yeah, with his album... I actually think that's the first time I've seen him become complacent. Mm. I felt like he felt he could do anything and it would work. And I feel like music and everything in general, fashion too, it's all become an algorithm. Everything is like, how do we get clicks? How do we get TikTok yeah. shares? If we get this artist who's from this region, we get we cover this region and everything about the song is all like formulated rather than, well, this song's fucking sick. Mm. And it's the same in fashion. It's the same in everything. Quality is a dying art. I just think everything's always too thought through in terms of everything apart from the art itself. Yeah. And I think that's where he went wrong. And Drake knows what he's doing, but I think he's reverse engineered this psychology of like God's plan and different tracks. Let me get a catchy hook. Let me get a, an old melody. Um, let me use, uh, let me collab with this artist from South America, make a hit. Mm. But after time, it runs thin and you've got to go back to what paid the bills in the beginning. I think the fact he called it, for all the dogs as well. Like I was expecting some bangers like for the guys. City Boy tracks. It was it, far from that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it was weird. Oh well, I still rate him. No, no, I still, yeah. Um so going back to this is what I'm really curious about. I want to know like the the early days of when you actually started the brand mm -hmm. and the company. Cause what I think was quite interesting is you you were still doing the football thing mm -hmm. whilst you launched the yeah. brand. Like how, how did you juggle both? When I look back at that period, uh, I don't know how I did it. I was so, so exhausted. Um, so I think at the time I was still at City. I just left City when I launched the brand, I think. Or was it close? How old are you? 22. I'm 31 now. Where'd you get the idea from? Like, you're like, all right, I'm going to, I want my own clothing brand. It, it wasn't that. So my closest friend, Lewis, at the time, he just started Gymshark. So I think Gymshark was a year in, not the Gymshark. You know, as today it was yeah, yeah. 50K revenue or whatever it was. So he he's he was the co-founder. Did he initially have 20% in it or something? He still has 17%, yeah. He's not sold it? He won't sell. He's got too much money, <laughs> which is cool anyway. Like, yeah, he, he deserves that. He was a big inspiration of why I did it. But that's, that's 
that's pretty cool that you had a friend from such an early age that was kind of already in the business. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better friend in terms of like advice and stuff. It wasn't, it wasn't a case of advice because, uh, it was, they were very, it was like a startup. So, uh, those two guys had a vision, didn't know how to put it together, was very, um, naive and inexperienced as you should be as a, an entrepreneur, especially what 12 years ago. Um, so it wasn't advice. It was more like close friend. Oh, I'm doing something in gym wear because I love gym stuff. Used to do something in fashion because you dress cool. Mm. And then it was like, oh, fuck it. Let's start a business. And I I was obviously leading everything. Um, And I guess what he gave me or inspired me was the, oh, you can do it. You are doing something. You're still putting numbers on the board. So I think with everyone, you need someone close to you who can show you what can be done. Mm. And even to this day, obviously think, you know, we've got myself, Ben, who's obviously the other co-founder of Gymshark, Reese, who's co-founder of, well, founder of Able because of Alice. We're all at different levels now and, you know, we overtake each other in different breaths. So we all inspire each other along the way. Like I'm opening the store. That's all my decision. When I open the store, I'm sure they will see the store a success and, you know, gain confidence from that or vice versa. I'll see something that they're doing and go, well, he's my mate and I, I know what he's capable of and, you show me it's can be done. And sometimes you need someone close to home mm. or someone who you know or looks like you to do something to know it's going to be possible. So he was like, uh, yeah, a big uh, a big push. But other than that, there was not much. He, he's a, a co-founder as well. Yeah, so whether it's naively. And, and to be fair to that point, it was Ben as well. So Ben Francis. Yes, but Lewis and Ben were close at the time. And Lewis is a very uh, straightforward, honest person. And Lewis, me, me and Ben weren't close. It was me and Lewis. We were like mm. inseparable as kids. And um, uh, when Lewis said it to me, I was like, oh, cool, we'll do it together 50 50. And he was like, nah, like Ben is my business partner. And I, and I was like, well, Ben doesn't even, you know, he's not even involved in this conversation. And Lewis being a loyal, loyal guy, he was like, well, I need to bring in my business partner because if we do everything together. And I was like, all right, cool. So and in the beginning, so he, he, was wanted actually, to, he wanted to bring Ben in. On, yeah. So it would have been a three-way thing. Which came to bite uh, Lewis in another way, not to of MDV. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, it was actually 33, 33, 33. Again, after he would have been six months, that changed quickly because obviously I said to those guys, like, you don't, you guys are doing your thing. You don't, yeah, have, you like don't have any care about what I do. Uh, you don't know fashion. And it's not like you're, you're not giving me any knowledge because I was always the smart one anyway. Um, so that changed quickly to 66% to me. And they had 17% each. Uh, one thing I will grant Ben is that he always said, I'll sell you, I'll sell you shares at due course. So mm-hmm. I think after 18 months or two years, I bought those shares off him, which left me with 83%, Lewis of 17. And then I think at that point, Lewis was still involved in Gymshark. And uh, he then obviously went through the situation, um, sold part of the business and obviously had the big sellout at the end. And now he's investing uh, mm. in with our other friend, Reese, who has, because of Alison um, and Abel. So yeah, um, it was an interesting start. Yeah. And again, you know, and I know when you start a business as uh, anyone, you always want to do it with your mates. It's like no one goes at it alone yeah. unless you've seen it been done by somebody else, which in my sense, I'm very lucky because my equity is extremely high, higher than I think nearly everybody who's got a brand probably is actually at this scale. Um, so yeah, Lewis with his 17, no problems at all. He still kept that equity today. Yeah. I mean, he's got, he's got a hundred million in the bank. What's, what's my money going to do for him? Um, so yeah, I mean, I've never, I've had the conversation with him once Mm. about selling equity and, uh, 
the, the the good thing and the bad thing, Lewis knows what I'm capable of. He knows my intelligence. He knows my drive. So he'd be very foolish of him to sell any shares until I sell the company, which he mm-hmm. makes sense if I was yeah. going to do the same thing. Um, and like I said, like without him, I wouldn't have ever started the brand. I took the brand to this level and I know that there's few people who can do what mm-hmm. I can do or would be able to do what I can do to this day or again. Um, and he knows that, hence why he won't sell. So that's good for him. And I, like I said, if I was him, I'd do the same thing. What would you have done in the situation? Let's say, for example, take take yourself back to that point in time. You got the idea for it, mm-hmm. but you were going to go all in and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you reckon you would have done that? Because I think this, same way. this is, I think the most difficult thing when it comes to starting a brand is that initial injection of mm-hmm. cash to buy the first uh, season or release or whatever you're going to sell. Well, I was lucky because I played football at the time. As I said, I was, what, 22? I, I was a term yeah, professional. So I never needed that. Those guys didn't give me any capital. So it wasn't like there was, I had more money than them actually mm-hmm. at the time. So there was just, it was just almost like, I'm a bit nervous. Let me go in with a friend rather than I need you as an inv- a partner because I want to split the, the payments. It wasn't that. It was like, I've got the money. I'm going to buy all the uh, stock anyway. So mm-hmm. it was probably the element of doubt, which everybody has when they start anything. And also they was doing something. They had still had a little bit more knowledge than I had with a supplier or a distribution. Um, but like I said, on a small scale and obviously MDV was at the time actually growing much faster than Gymshot was. Of course they took off after mm. they hammered influencer mark in which there was the, the, the trailblazers blazers in that sense. Mm. So we was growing pretty fast. So it was, was at equal helms at one point. Um, but yeah, I could have started alone, but it's easy to say that I wouldn't have started alone. That's the truth because I didn't know what to do in the sense of why would I go into a business line when I'm playing football? At this time, I'm yeah, still a professional yeah, yeah, yeah. football. It was almost like, okay, well, um, my mate's doing it, so I'm going to do it. You know how it goes. That's just how how things happen. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's easy to say hindsight's a wonderful thing, but the yeah. situation it is now is, yeah, the best situation it could have been. My, I'm making my friend rich every day, and uh, he gave me the push. That's what friends are for. Yeah. So what what advice would you give to people who are thinking about starting their own brand because it seems like everybody wants to do it these days but I think very few people are unaware of what that actually entails and what is required. So what were the first things you would tell those people to ask themselves before they yeah, go ahead and do it? I said this uh, a lot in in over the years. I think you've got to understand why you're doing it. Don't do it because you think it's cool or you see another brand or you like someone who's got a brand you have to have a natural understanding of what you're doing, what fashion, what region, what niche you're going into. You've got to do something else that nobody does because as you know, and everybody knows fashion is hyper competitive and there's always someone with bigger pockets than you who can outbid you on or in a marketing aspect, there's luxury brands you got to compete with. There's indie, uh, indie brands you can compete with. There's people with hardcore fan bases you got to compete with. So where's your niche and why are you doing it? And if you don't think your niche is strong enough, then you know, do something else um, because fashion is definitely not for the faint-hearted. And I think there's a difference between fashion and this merch. Merch, in my opinion, is heavily branded stuff, heavily driven by the individual, um, the individual owner or a, a sector. And it's fashion where it's minimal logos, actual design-led. What I do is design-led. That's even harder than merch, in my opinion, because mm. to sell a product with a logo versus a product with no logo is much harder because how, like, you're not buying into anything. When you wear a logo, a logo normally, normally means something. A brand means something. If you've got, 
a dual logo or a Balenciaga, you're buying into what that brand means at the time. So it's easier to sell it. But when you're buying a Zenyu suit or, a, you know, even Zara to a point, you're buying price point. Yes, but you're still buying into something that's much harder to convey. If Zara just started to do blank t-shirts, no one's going to go to Zara anymore. Mm. You go to Zara because uh, they, they're always on it with design. The price to value relationship is excellent and you've got stores in every location. And the perception of Zara is for everybody. It's clean, timeless, and you're getting good value. So to do something like that is much harder than to create a logo, uh, deploy a marketing strategy around that logo to attract a certain type of audience and then create your diehard fan base who are always going to be there until you stop serving them effectively and someone serves them better. Mm. So yeah, you've got to know where you stand and it's very hard. How did you come up with the name? I was actually, it was funny enough, it was when Gymshark had, um, I think it was like 6,000 square foot unit it was tiny and i was sat on the chair because uh, it, it wasn't like a fully kid uh um warehouse or office should i say and i was like i need a name i need a name and i googled uh fashion in french and said manier i typed in manier into google and he said manier de voir and i was like oh let me translate that to the way to see and i was like mm. bingo and i think sometimes in life some things just hit you yeah. and you just know and i said to you previously i'm sure we'll talk about the store I've not had those I just know moments many times in life, but every time I have had that instinct, there's never any doubt. So as soon as I got the name, I knew it would be a success. And it sounds weird. I never had any doubts from that point because the name is really hard so, to combine. Yeah. It's, it's just, even just saying it sounds premium. It's like yeah. you, you wouldn't be selling cheap items with that name, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we did at one point, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, not now, certainly not. But yeah, it's, it's Brandon again, isn't it? What does it mean? Uh, when you when you say it, what does your brand mean? Again, I maybe started off with more branded stuff, certainly not now. And that was a long-term strategic game. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the name is, is crucial. What it represents. Zara is a clean name. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever high street brands are the cars, Massimo Duty. Mm -hmm. They're all just like minimal, no real connotation, but sound kind of slick. And that was what I always had in plan. Of course, the vision changes. The strategy changes. I find gaps or pockets where I'm like, no, this is where the next level of growth is. This has the most longevity in it and I navigate accordingly. Mm -hmm. But the name was always in mind. Zara was always like the go-to. Uh, I knew I would never become Zara because, and I'm, I'm very big, a very big thinker, but Zara is just incomprehensible about how fast and how good they move. But the model always stuck with me. The value uh, to price ratio was always, uh, I think mm -hmm. that was incredible. Yeah, I mean, every time, especially, I feel like the stores, the Zara stores in Europe are better than the ones out here for sure, yeah. especially in Spain. It's yeah. like, I could get a full wardrobe if I go in there. Yeah. It's crazy. And then you go in a couple of weeks later and it's all different. Yeah, that's, that's mind-blowing to me. Where, where did you initially source the products from? Did you get them from China? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Any headaches or hiccups with that? No, I mean... <laughs> It was, uh, was obviously many uh, lessons along the way. You learn, you learn the hard way many mm. times, but not in terms of like them taking payments. Yeah. Sometimes you get bad batches of product. You've approved this and received this and it's not the same. But I think that comes from a level of diligence. You have to, con you have mm. to, you have to take responsibility and control that. Um, and also put in punishments in place or make them fear the consequence of giving you a bad batch that they lose future business. And obviously in the beginning, it's difficult to do that. But as you scale where they see you reordering, and you say, you do know if you mm. don't give me what I asked for, there's a, other suppliers who want to work with me. 
Um, but in the beginning, it was a case of, again, buying original samples, Zara. I like this fit, but I want this fabric and I want to change this. And I was on Photoshop. You, so you were designing everything yourself? Yeah, yeah, drawing lines, red lines, measuring in inches, not centimeters, which is stupid in, in fashion because obviously inches mm. is, is harder to control than centimeters. Yeah, learning as I go along, it was when I look back at the product, I think, Jesus Christ, how did I get this far yeah. with that? But obviously everyone gets better. Yeah, and yeah. The standard today is not the standard it was 10 years ago. Um, but yeah, that's how it started. And who, who, who was buying to begin with? What do you mean? Like who were the majority of the people that were buying the products? Good question. Um, I mean, it was 10 years ago, I guess. Uh, I guess people who wanted to dress like I, how I started was like, I wanted stuff I couldn't buy. And I guess that's very common in most people of why they started. I liked a certain way of tracksuit. I was very inspired by the Givenchy Ricardo Tisky era. That's the watch the front era and all of those products, which I definitely couldn't afford. And I was like, I want to make a tracksuit like that and I'm going to wear it and post it on, I think Instagram was just brand new then. Mm. Um, and Twitter was just br like brand new. So I was posting stuff and obviously, as you know, the reach then was crazy. And to have a new brand with cool stuff, like there's a million now, but back then there was none. So yeah. I don't know who exactly the buyer was, but it was people who wanted a new brand and had the same ones that I had. It was tracksuits primarily, wanted to not just wear a basic tracksuit, but wanted a bit of an edge or again, probably inspired by that Watch the Throne era too. I kind of took that, remixed it, made it affordable. And yeah, obviously I played football at the time. There were footballers wearing it. There was, and then I, I think I started women's a year after. Same Ricardo Tisky, Gifonchi inspired kind of leggings with zippers. Um, Saint Laurent inspired too, uh, Ali Sliman. So yeah, that was, it was, I don't know who, cause it was so long ago, but it was just anybody and anybody who was thought they was into fashion and wanted something which you couldn't get elsewhere. And at that time, people's spending habits of clothes were not like today. You know, you might, you might limit out 150 quid for a tracksuit, whereas now you've got 700 pound t-shirts. So mm. people's tolerances to spending was much lower then. So when you've got like a, design a looking product for 150 pound you're like yeah let me buy it or and word spreads fast and uh word of mouth is obviously still the best and much harder now but back then it wasn't and i guess what i said earlier about um gymshark when they started with the youtube and the fitness influencers that was a brand new thing and they was able to get such an incredible head start or burn so much distance between them and their rivals from that which put them in good stead. And timing is everything. Uh, I'm the first person to say, you've got to get a bit lucky with your timing. Of course, over a decade, look runs out and timing mm. plays no part, but you've got to get lucky in the beginning, but you've got to find your, uh, everyone gets lucky. You've just got to stay in the game to win it. And I think when I started in 2014 was the perfect time. It would be much harder today. There's no shadow of a doubt. You've got to be much more strategic now than back then. But nevertheless, to stay relevant 10 years in fashion is yeah. hard, hard work. What was your experience with uh, sort of building your team and hiring the first few people? Because I guess the first few people that you you hire, mm. they're going to have a huge impact on how successful the, the company's going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the girls still work for me, she's called Anna. Uh, she's worked with me for eight, nine years. So she's been instrumental. And actually at the time she worked in Harvey Nichols as um uh, she worked in, was it Whistles? No, not Whistles. Pinko. One of those brands. I think it was Pinko. And uh, she always had a cool way of dressing. And uh, again, before Instagram, like she would, I would see her and she would be dressed a certain type of way. And I thought, well, she's got something to add there. Um, I actually hired uh, one of my best friend's girlfriends who was a fashion buyer. I did a fashion buying degree, um, but she's no longer with us. But yeah, Anna was there in the beginning and uh, 
she actually left Pinko to work for Emirates. And then I told her I'm starting this brand and she was at Emirates for six months. And I was like, oh, you want a job in Bayern? Like I need someone in the women's wear team. And she left Emirates and came to MDV and she's been there ever since. But you've got to get lucky with that too. Yeah. Very lucky. Um, I had my mom in the warehouse, <laughs> as, as you do. Um, I said, uh, the girl who's my best friend's uh, girlfriend was, I had her sister. She wanted to be in marketing. So in the beginning, you're just hiring whoever you think can do a job. And again, you learn from those situations. It doesn't always work out. And sometimes you... You know, when you're hiring people close to you, they have a level of entitlement, uh, friends, uh, family too. It gets tricky. So, mm. you know, after you've learned a few, few lessons, you then hire in a different way. You start to hire externally or through, you know, LinkedIn or like proper job yeah. specs. Whereas in the beginning, I was like, well, she does fashion. You know, she dresses <laughs> cool. My mom works hard. Uh, they would do. How, how big is the team now? Well, with the store, it's going to be close to a hundred people now. Um, it's obviously we need. Yeah. But you're you're CEO, mm-hmm. so you're still running the shop. You're yeah. in charge of everything. Yeah, for sure. Does that ever stress you out? Yeah, of course. Um, but stress is like a muscle. The more mm. the more you take on, the more you get used to it. And then, especially if you've got a growth mentality, you find yourself learning again, feeling mm. that overwhelmed, stressed nature, handling that, and the show goes on. It's a constant mm. cycle. So, yeah, I do. Um, it's a lot of pressure on my shoulders, but. I can't complain because this is what I asked for. And I, yeah. people ask me that all the time. I'm like, if I was to complain about how I feel or the stress I'm under, people are going to say, what's this guy talking about? He has everything. So that's the price you pay and that's the position I chose. So like it or love it. Mm. Speaking of the store, it looks so sick. I was saying earlier, I've been, when I was in London in June, I was staying near Oxford Street and I used to walk down every day and I would see this, it was this building that stood out from all the other buildings and then I clocked it. You had all the branding on the windows mm-hmm. and obviously it's, I thought it was open at the time, but it's not, it's yeah. coming soon. So mm-hmm. what's the story behind that? Cause I imagine choosing where your first store is going to be, where the HQ is going to be. is like, it's a pretty big thing. Yeah. So how did that come about and how did you find such a premium? Again, uh, as I said, sometimes you get lucky in life and, and, and sometimes you have those, I need it moments. That's it moment. And that was one of those moments too. I think I've had it in business two or three times over the years, 10 years. And that, and and that was one of them. And, uh, we had lockdown, we came out of lockdown and I I always wanted a store, but wanted a store when it was the right time financially in terms of margin of safety, not to obviously spread ourselves too thin or take on too Mm. much risk. Um, when the product was ready, uh, when I knew that someone could go into the store, touch it and be, wow this is good. The value is insane because like I said earlier, I'm very aware of what's, I'm very aware of what luxury do. I'm very aware of what high street do. I'm very aware of what the Instagram and the new brands are capable of. I needed to make sure that when we have a store, it's better than everybody on a value to price ratio. And again, timing as well. Um, like I said, it was after lockdown, retailer was on his ass. Everything you read was online's the future. And it was during lockdown. Everybody Mm. was flying me, myself included, but Human psychology doesn't change, you know. We still are social beings. We still want to go touch shop it, especially people who are buying over a certain price point. You don't really want to take that chance online unless you're buying a T-shirt, which is the same fit from the same brand. If it's something new, you want to go and see it. And I knew that the human psychology will revert back to being outside and wanting to go shopping in person. 
And also on a brand perspective, I, I know once you go to physical retail and not wholesale, but like your own store, as far as perception goes, it adds a lot of value to the brand subject to your location. So I live in London, um, well, in between both. And I was walking down and I saw it had the stickers on the wall said, Heinz available for rent. And I said, I need it. Mm. So retail was down, rent was low. Nobody was trying to take stores. I actually asked my whole senior team, should we take the store? It was like, it was already in, the, in negotiations and it was close to signing the dotted line. I said, senior team, I think there's four or five of them, go away and tell me. I wasn't in the meeting. I was like, go away on yourself. Um, tell me yes or no, should we do the store? Everybody says no. I did it anyway. Really? Yeah, yeah. Why would I say no? I was saying too much of a risk. Oh, yeah. head's too much. Yeah. yeah. And um, I get it. Um, it, it, it. The thing is, this was two years ago or 18 months ago. So, mm. In the last 18 months, we've grown a lot. Profits have increased significantly. So I think at the time we just did three, three and a half million profit. I won't say the rent because I'm sure Heinz will be very mad at me, but the- What do you mean by Heinz? Heinz is the people who own the building. They so nothing have, to do with Heinz baked beans. No, no, no. It's H-I-N-E-S. So the rent was a large proportion of the profits. So I can understand where they're coming from. I always obviously knew what the brand was capable of where and where it can be taken. So- the years followed that, we doubled the profits, X, Y, and Z. So the risk ever became mm. less and less. And I also explained to the team, I'm like, if you was to rent a billboard in Oxford Street, in that location, which is you walk out of Bond Street Station, bang, you said yourself, the building it's, is yeah, incredible. Flex. The brickwork stands out on Oxford Street. It's very on brand. And I thought to myself, if I just got a 50-foot billboard there, 365 days a year, how much would it cost me? Well, for example to put a billboard on the Houston under underpass is 30 grand a week. Mm. So, you know, do the math. You're talking the millions a year. So I looked at it, well, if I want a billboard in central London, it's going to cost me a million a year. And I can trade from it. And I can show what we do in person to a customer who may may only shop in person, may only be, you know, a lot of people do shop in person still. They're, they're not online shoppers, especially men. And we can sell and we can trade and we can make money from it. It's a no-brainer. And I guess as an entrepreneur and those are the things that you see, which others may not, they're just looking at a risk perspective and I'm looking at it, the potential perspective. And um, yeah. Well, I mean, so many people walk on that street yeah. every day. Real quick, guys, I just want to share with you something which I spent the end of 2023 putting together for you. You see... In life, if you are unhappy with something, you need to change it. That is one of the core philosophies that has driven me, my businesses, and my fitness over the past 10 years. In recent years, I've been asked frequently how I've managed to go from being an average personal trainer, working all day, every day in a gym in the north of England, to the position that I am in today. That is why I decided to create the Digital Playbook. This is a step-by-step -step blueprint for anybody who finds themselves in the same position that I did years ago, wondering to myself, how can I make money online? Can I really make a full-time income from creating content about the things that I actually like? How can I travel the world, work from my laptop, and at the same time still afford to live a great lifestyle? It's essentially a playbook on how I built multi-million pound businesses off the back of creating content online. If you want to check it out, head over to the digitalplaybook.net and you can book in a call with my team to find out more. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, 
yeah just just the marketing alone is yeah. is worth it and you'll see in a month's time the way I've done the store where I've designed it and I did that myself and there was no interior designers no architect hopefully it fucking works it might be tragic who's let's see but the way I've designed the store the way I want the store to be ran will be uh in my opinion um very different to what you're used to want Oxford Street which is typically mm -hmm. a high street place where you've got people stacking high selling as much as possible that was never my intention it's yeah. for the brand of course we've got to make money we've got to break even at worst case but it's all it about be an experience it's got to be an experience and that is what retail failed at pre-covid everybody was a shit show you go into a store uninspired you're looking around there's clothes everywhere there's 10 sizes on a rail and yeah it's overwhelming even me i'm mm. like oh there's too many people and we've got to limit how many people can go in the store. Hopefully people want to go into the store, but we've got to do that. We're going to lose money. Of course we are. We're making queue outside. <laughs> but that's what you have to do for the experience. And if that's yeah. leaving money on the table, great, because it's protecting my brand. I always look at how revenue is generated. Is like, I will never take a pound of revenue if it costs me a, a day in the future. Mm. And I'm very much like that. And a lot of people aren't like that. They're like, yeah, we're flying. We're growing really fast. At what cost? Growth always comes at a cost personally or as a business. There's always a price to pay and I won't pay it personally or the business. The business has to be here in 10 years' time. So every decision I make today is for that. I will never, ever chase revenue. I've even completely 360 the direction of the business price-wise and style-wise, which is bold as hell. But I was like... Pretty for the prices up. Oh, yeah, significantly. Even like we don't make any loungewear. We don't make any tracksuits. We're making a lot of tailored stuff and... That's obviously isolated a lot of customers. But fortunately, we've managed to maintain. You increase your price, you isolate a lot of customers in the economy, which is obviously extremely difficult. But like I said, and my staff can vouch for this, and everybody can say, oh, I don't care about money until you've got money coming in and you've got to change direction to protect your future. And uh, that's one thing I do pride myself on is like, I will always do what's best for the business hmm. at the expense of, short-term growth for long-term growth for the expense of making sure that my staff's future is safe, that I can continue to give them the growth that they deserve. I would never just do anything to, yeah, we've grown 100% this year. We've wholesaled in 20 channels. Or we've got, you know, branded products which are on everybody because there's a new brand around the corner who's going to be cooler than you. So mm. what's timeless? What can last? And the store will help solidify that image we've got building for 10 years. Long time, who knows? That things well, you've got to secure for 10 years. Yeah, there's a break clause, of course, but um, you've got to take risk and you, you've got to think about the future. And it depends on your strategy as well, because I'm 31, I don't have kids, so I can afford to be all in. Yeah. And as a man, uh, we're lucky that we have that ability to be all in. Even when some men have children, you can go to work every day and go to war and take more risk when you don't have kids than when you do. And I thought to myself, I'm only going to be with no dependence. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I was listening to a podcast with Ben Francis. He just mm -hmm. had kids. Yeah. And he, and he said like, he, he can't be all in on the business anymore. Mm. He, he now has to assign some of his time to the family life. And mm. that's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And um, who knows when that's going to happen for me, but I don't want to be a 40 year old dad. Do you know what I mean? So hopefully in the next, you know, three to five years, I have kids one way or another. Mm. And things will change. I don't want to be a person who's so focused on money and success that you isolate your, you know, your, your close family. And of course, as you know, you, you do that anyway when you're on the come up. You have no choice. But it's 
your mom, your dad, you love them to bits, but you've got to grow apart and you've got to, you've, you've got to support them and you've got to find your own space as a man or a woman. But when you have your own family, it's different. And I don't want to be that person. So I'm all in. Uh, yeah. I'll take whatever risk. And if I lose it also, well, I've, I've started with nothing as a kid. I was working class at best. So yeah, I mean, I'm taking that risk. Calculated ones, of course. Um, but I'm strat- strategizing for the future and, um, and you know, if the offer comes in five years and it's right and I've got a family and I want to spend time with them, then that's why I'm going to do it. What percentage of the the sales are coming from male versus female? Oh, mostly women. Mostly women. Uh, that's interesting because um, do you know a lot about female fashion? I assume you obviously probably do. Yeah. But this is one thing which I found quite difficult because I have my brand. It's obviously nothing on your level. But when I tried to go down the route of releasing female clothing, Mm -hmm. I didn't have a clue what the hell I was getting myself into because it's a a swimwear brand, so I was bringing out um, bikinis. Mm -hmm. And I just... They all... For me, when I'm looking at a bikini on a woman, I'm just like, okay, like, I'm looking at the woman, not really the bikini. Yeah. So it's... It's a, it's a, you, you obviously know men's fashion. You can wear it. You can, you know, see yourself in it. Mm. So I guess for you, the men's side of things has always been relatively straightforward. Like you were designing them. But when it came to, okay, now you're releasing women's stuff, are you still having a big input with the designs or do you have a team? Did you get a team behind you early on to help you? No. So it's funny. It's the other way around. Men's is harder for me than it is women's. Really? Yeah. Because. Yeah. As an individual, you get consumed by your own taste and my taste is ever evolving and probably not most people's taste. So naturally you have a bias towards what you want and I am smart enough to not do what I want, but also then I have to understand someone, something, an area which isn't me. And actually now, finally, I've said it's, it's my way and obviously I can dumb it down and make it more commercial. Um, but whereas women, I can look objectively. I know what I want women to wear. I can look at study fashion shows. I can walk around and see tasteful women you can look on social media and see tasteful women and you can find i can understand fit how it uh shapes and because i'm i'm not a woman i have to work harder to study mm. it because you put on a t-shirt or i put on a trouser, whatever you know how you want it and most men are the same so you don't have to study it. it's second nature as you said but with women's you have to study it more but because i had to study it more and i knew i didn't know it made me better at it. so i can look completely objective with no bias mm. and i can just say um, of course, you make mistakes in the beginning. I'm not saying from the beginning I knew what I was doing, but now, yeah, women's is, yeah, my input is more, well, it's equal in both, but I'm equally as involved in women's as I am in menswear because I know what type of brand I want to create for women. Mm-hmm. I know where the gaps are. Uh, there's a million and one fashion brands for women, especially. Um, and I know what I don't want and I know what I do want and I find the middle. And I've always done that, as I said, you know, I try and find the gaps. I try and find what's not available and also try and like reverse engineer. Well, is it commercial? Can, can a woman wear it? Am I going to walk down the street or go to a, a, a dinner and I'm going to see women comfortable to wear it? And of course, some things were a little bit on the edgy side, but we still managed to create some products which are in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually not harder, but I could understand how, what and why you think that way. How did, how did that change over time? So when you launched... You launched for mm-hmm. male and female? No, men's first, women's after like a year. And then did the women's just sell like crazy? No, not in the beginning because the 
the assortment of product was much less. The, mm -hmm. There was still way more men's product. And of course, when you're known as a men's brand, you attract men and women don't look yeah. there. But I think um, after three or four years, the pendulum started to swing. But the swing was something that I did on purpose as well. As I said, we started with tracksuits and I was getting older, as I said, my taste was changing. I didn't want to look like everyone else. Mm. And I didn't want to look too casual. I still wanted to, you know, look different to everyone else. And you know how it goes. Now everybody follows the same type of fashion and everyone mm. looks the same. And I've always tried to be, to, to make the brand different. So I didn't want to be known as a tracksuit brand. I wanted to be known as a fashion brand. That was always my first intention. But obviously in the beginning, I just made what, I knew. So I always had the long-term vision for that. So when men, women started to take over men, it was when I started to stop making as many tracksuits, make more fashion oriented pieces. And obviously that appealed to a smaller market. Whereas women, they obviously mostly shop fashionable clothes, like sexy stuff, or they're less um, focused on logos. It's more about, I look nice. Mm. Whereas men is more logo oriented. So I started to remove the logo from men, started to make it more, you know, like actual stuff that you'd say okay well he's he's looked like he's got star rather than he's wearing a, a logo brand and obviously that had an effect on sales but it was always a long-term plan and even now to this day that was a strategy that i had five years ago which is finally playing out um i didn't expect women to do so well but that was a lesson for me in the process i guess understanding women's consumer as i said just understanding how they what they want to wear how they, they, like shop. To, they like to shop and i was like <laughs> Jesus Christ, I've missed out here for a few years. Um, Does it make you think, well, okay, this is working. Maybe I should just double down and go harder with the women's stuff and then just like maintain the men's stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had that thought. Um, I had actually had that for uh, the conversation with my finance director. And I was like, does women even make sense? I mean, men's even make sense because the time it takes me is equal to women. It's not, mm. it's not like I have to work less on it. It's taken up to double of my time, but women's is three quarters of the revenue. Does this make sense? And then... He said, but men's is more profitable because they will spend more. Buy less, spend more, your margins are bigger. So not more profitable in the sense of the overall profit, mm -hmm. but you're still making a good chunk of profit from the you're, 25% you're, of revenue. You're selling less volume, but you're pricing it higher. And the margins are bigger. Yeah. So okay, yeah, we still more, make more profit for women's, but we still make a good portion from the men's. So mm -hmm. not all revenues treated the same. Do you know what I mean? So when he showed me, okay, this was a few years ago now, when he showed me like, okay, well, this is the proportion, might have been 30% of the revenue at the time, it's, it's decreased a little bit and you're still making X amount. So if you say no, you're literally throwing away yeah. half a million profit or whatever it was, I can't remember. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just have to continue. But like I said, that was in the, um, when I saw the numbers accurately in terms of what men provided and I also knew the potential of where I could take it in terms of the, finding my niche again because mm. the niche has changed a few times um and now it's doing really well uh is it, is it get, getting into the luxury category nah. like what 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 defines a brand as being a luxury brand is it a certain price point i think so yeah yeah you're selling stuff in the thousands um and also heritage let's keep it raw there's many people who can try and still it's a young company isn't it? yeah you can try and you know, position yourself as luxury, but you're competing with people with 200 years of heritage mm -hmm. and know-how. We're not going to live for 200 years. So I think it's very, very arrogant to try and go into that sector and compete with LVMH, good luck. Uh, and I'm not saying nothing, it's nothing, everything's not possible, but I'm a realist. And um, the premium section, I know premium is a buzzword, but there's not many premium brands. There's maybe like Acne Studios or like I'm, I'm talking about like brands who make fashionable stuff. 
there's not many and I feel like we are that and that's our niche now like if I try to make heavily branded clothing there's a million people to compete with you know you've got to you've got to market different uh, and to be honest our marketing's not lazy it's very creative and classy but I don't have to do any like clever marketing stunts or always try and be relevant it's like okay well you're a customer and this is what we do and we always do it and you'll come back to us if this is what type of stuff you want and if it's not then there's other brands for you well, I think just by having that store where it is is marketing in itself. Well, yeah, you could instead of doing that, you could go pay a load of influencers to mm. wear the clothes, which is not going to have the same effect. Yeah, and influencers are extremely pricey and less effective now. So. The, re- the reach has gone down now as well. Yeah, like it's not the same. It's not the same game as it used to be. No, like I said, timing and windows. There's a window of look and a window of opportunity and everything. Whether that is Facebook ads or now it's TikTok ads or whether that's retail. And when I've looked at a lot of uh, businesses' earnings, all their growth is attributed to retail, more retail expansion, prime locations. Azara is 90% retail. The only That pendulum only swung a little bit during COVID and it swung straight back, do you know what I mean? Mm. And obviously they have multiple brands. LVMH is all retail and I know they're luxury. You're going to definitely shop luxury in person. But like I said earlier, the human psychology isn't going to change. And if I spend... 2 million a year, 3 million a year on a store. A lot of people, that's people's influencer marketing budget at our level. Um, and if I, obviously Oxford Street is the prime location, you can't really get more expensive. But if I open other um, in Dubai or whatever, what I'm spending on a store, which can generate me trackable revenue and build the brand perception is what a lot of people spend on influencer marketing. But I guess the thing is, once you start influencer marketing to that scale, when you turn it off, your revenue dips yeah. and you're in trouble. Well, I've noticed with my brand, like it's heavily reliant upon me being active on social media. Mm-hmm. And if I was to stop posting, the brand is uh, not going to be doing too well. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think, is, is there even a way for me to get away from that? Or is that just the way it's going to be for me? Yeah. And I think a lot of people are in the same position. I think after the lockdown and, you know, the buzzword of influencer marketing and Facebook ads, everybody took the same approach. Um and yeah, when that loophole gets closed, you're left in a limb. And I've always said the same about wholesale. When you try and, when your brand's in demand, you actually have to not serve the demand, which sounds backwards. But when you serve the demand too much and it becomes too popular, too in everyone's faces, and you say yes to every wholesale channel, and the money goes up, when that wholesale decides to say, it's not selling like it used to, pull, 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 and you're online, people don't shop there no more because they prefer to shop at Farfetch or they prefer to shop at Selfridges, which a lot of people will do, of course. Mm. Then what? Then your online channel is destroyed. Your brand's not cool anymore because the, the wholesalers aren't buying it. Influencers are pricing themselves out because they don't want to wear your brand anymore. Then you're left with nothing. I actually had this conversation with my friend Reese, literally in the taxi here. There was a Sunday Times Award yesterday. Obviously, I'm here, so I didn't go. Um... But he was well, talking. You, you won the award. It was the fastest growing oh. business, but a few of my uh, team went. But yours. Say again. Your your brand was the fastest growing business. No, it wasn't the fast. It's in the top hundred. Okay. So it's been the, the, the top hundred fastest growing brands for I think three years now, um, privately owned. Um, but he was there, and there's obviously other brands you will know. Um, and he was speaking to a lot of them. Reese is hyper smart, one of the smartest people I've, I know, and not just like very well-rounded he sees things he sees like loopholes and he sees traps and he's, he's really good and he'll always do well because of that um but was, he was speaking to some of the owners and they were saying oh yeah 
UK markets down or wholesale, primarily wholesale or um, influencer marketing. And he's looking, thinking, damn, you, you lot are in trouble. Because all of those things we just discussed, wholesale is good right now, don't get me wrong, but they're all temporary and you've got to keep the switch turned on. The moment that switch turns off, you're in trouble because your overheads are often, often linked to your, your size. Mm. So once that size drops, you, you, that's how businesses go from making 10 mil to losing 10 mil. I see it all the time and I'm like, you've got to manage your risk. You've got to grow in a, such a slow, sustained manner. And whilst we're all thirsty for growth and we all want more, as I said earlier, what's the cost? You want a pound today to be a pound tomorrow and you've just got to maintain that. But like I said, social media has created such a, I want to beat him, I want to beat her mentality that we take the wrong decisions to just be the the big dog or the big boss for just a temporary moment. So it's really, it's, it, it seems backwards the way I do things a lot of the time. And a lot of people are hire from like, I have a my head of retail, I came from Hugo Boss 20 years he said to me the other day, he said, I worked at Hugo Boss for 20 years, incredible business. They've done really well. He said, but I've learned more from your mentality in the last six months than I learned all of that time, just from how you analyze things and mm. think about the future and small decisions. And I'm like, it seems, it seems normal to me. Like everything's about, it's a long life, isn't it? And in business, things change. And I've seen so many people come and go and I, I, I identify why they've came and gone. And it's normally the same thing. It's just like, too, you're too hungry. You, you want it too fast, and you, you're skipping key steps just to get there, just to be the man, just for five minutes. Mm. It's all about long, longevity. Do you know what I mean? I've got um, a couple of tweets which oh, I want to go through because you're quite cool. you're quite active on Twitter. Even you're more low key on Instagram, aren't you? Yeah, it's just a cheeky little post every now and then, just to let you know, hey, this is know. this is what I'm about. All right, I'm doing let, good. You got to let just know, Ferrari. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta let them know. You gotta let them know. <laughs> um, right. First one. Keeping money is harder than getting money. Elaborate. I think it's it's very obvious if they're footballers and rappers, they earn footballers in particular earn a significant amount of money. But when you it's in business is different, so you know and I know it doesn't come in every month. And if it well, it does come in every month, but you know you've got to pay for stuff, or you know you've got to keep that money for a rainy day, or you know you've got to reinvest in stock so you see it. You don't touch it. Mm -hmm. When you get a rap deal or when you get a football contract, every month you get your advance or you get your check. You think it's never ending mm -hmm. and then it ends. Your spending is linked to a fixed amount, which is always going to arrive. So it's very difficult to learn financial control when, you know, for three or four years, this is what's going to happen. And everybody backs themselves. Everybody thinks, well, this I'm going to do better in the future. So to look at what you get and, uh, plan for a rainy day or invest correctly is such a harder mentality when it's always coming. Um, or in business, even in my case, I'm like, okay, well, we've been going for 10 years. It's safe to say we'll be here for another 10. Logic says, yes, I'm a realist. I don't like to think like that. So whilst we have a lot of liquidity, I don't like to see it as mine, even though it is. I like to see it as like, until the business is sold and it hits my account, then it's mine. Mm. And then I can do what the hell I want. But until that point, it's not mine. But with most people, influencers, even, you know, high salaried people, like you it's, get... It's easy to spend. And you get used to it yeah. because your salary, you know, if you do your job, the salary is not going to go backwards. You know, if you're in a stable company, you're always going to grow. But most people still have no money at the end of the month. Even I have stuff. I'm not, what, what is the, the stupidest thing you've ever bought? Where you're like, that was 
very expensive and unnecessary and hasn't added any value to my life? Uh, since I actually had decent money, never. I mean, as a young footballer, 19, again, I'm speaking from experience here. You got out of your system early. Yeah. Um, and I learned fast. So I, I, I didn't earn enough to go crazy, but you know, first, first time I, I bought a car, I was 19, had a X6 wrapped in Matt Gray. Insurance was like most of the money I had in my account. I think I got signing on fee of like 50k, obviously after taxes, 25. So put down, well, pay for the car, pay for the insurance. Money's gone. That was what I had. Wasn't stupid. I was 19 at the time. I wanted to shine. Um, fortunately, actually, so when I was at the time at uh, Manchester City, had a, a relationship with BMW, so you could get 20% off the car. So actually, I sold it for more money. So it wasn't stupid, but the insurance was stupid. But mm. then again, insurance is expensive for every everybody when you're when you're that type of age. Um, but I've always been quite wise. Yeah, I'm, you I've seem pretty switched on. Been yeah. raised by a very very tight dad. Like that helps. If there's tap water, <laughs> we don't get bottled water. Do you know what I mean? Or like. If you can make rice, why would you buy rice? Do you mm. understand? Like that's how I was raised. So taught me a lot and also cost me a lot because it kept me limited to a certain age. But um, the, I think the, I don't go out very, I go out once or twice on holiday or very rarely in, in England once a year, probably if we've got staff dues or whatever. But the biggest money I hate spending on is alcohol or nights out. Like mm. that is the, I hate it. You yeah, can, get, getting a table for a couple grand doesn't you wake Co up the next couple day grand if you're lucky yeah. nowadays well yeah you're probably covering the bill for everyone aren't you yeah <laughs> but <laughs> i hate that that's the biggest waste because yeah. everything else you can talk about clothes okay you can wear them you talk about your car you can drive it mm. you talk about a watch it doesn't really move in value talk about your apartment okay you live in it mm. but drink and alcohol and tables you're doing that every week to places hours. like london and dubai <sighs> three hours you're 10k down and you, you wake up and you, well, I would. And I, I, clearly other people don't. I think, wow. And you multiply that. I go out. Yeah. If I do that two times a year, okay, it's two times a year, big deal. People do that every yeah. week. I don't know how they do it. That's the biggest waste. I think, and, and gambling, I don't gamble. So gambling is a big mm. one. Um, divorce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> divorce <laughs> is a big one. Um, but other than that, like, yeah, and they're going to be men. Women are going to be women. Women like bags and makeup yeah. and men like cars and clothes. And yeah, as long as you buy things that hold their value. And if you buy quality, normally it does. It's very hard to um, lose money. But back to the tweet, it's when they start to buy diamonds and mm. like I said, holidays and clubs. That's where they spunk their money or gambling. Um, and the sad thing is a lot of athletes and rappers, that's what they do. That's their culture. And yeah. the sad reality Especially is... in America. Yeah, man, it's crazy. It's almost like if you don't do that, you're a loser. Yeah. And even though you, you could have a wise man sit and say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a really talented rapper. I earn a lot of money, but this is what I want to do. And I'm, I'm investing my money and I'm making more than you. He won't be loved. He'll be like, oh, he's corny. Like, I'm not going to... We don't want to support him. I guess it's kind of like J. Cole. J. Yeah, Cole's like that. Say, he's like one of the few people that's just like, no, I'm not about that. Yeah, and he's got a hard fan base, but then he's also overlooked by half of America. Mm. And obviously he's got his hardcore face, fan base. He's, he's good for life, but he's not like everybody else. And that in America doesn't work. And I think also England are 
are adopting that same mentality now. The wise men will be overlooked and the, the frivolous men will be praised. Mm. But I understand that too, because the frivolous men you have fun with, right? The wise men are calculated and uh, yeah, you want to be frivolous men, have their hands open and you can take advantage of them, whether that's in a business deal or, you know, you can give them a contract and they're going to sign it. The wise men are going to ask twice. Mm. So, yeah. Next tweet. Less people, less problems. It's better to take on more stress alone than to deal with the incompetence and stress of others in business <laughs> and personal life. Yeah, that was probably one of my cynical moments. <laughs> but you know, someone piss you off. Oh, that's every day, but it's true anyway. It's true. And that's the hard part about a business. Business is people. And I wouldn't be able to do what I do without the team. There's no, no shred of a doubt. But as you're hiring, you need more people. And I think now with the generation, me and you are similar age. So we were raised in a different era to social media. And don't get me wrong, this generation has more uh, different qualities to what we do. But we were raised to work your ass off, you know, um, grind through hard moments, don't mm -hmm. moan about stuff, and it will all be okay. Uh, I feel like now, um, not everybody, but a lot of it is like uh, instant gratification. Yeah, they want easy money. They don't want to put it work in. And also it's skill. I, th I feel like uh, we spoke about this with the Drake situation. Mastery and just being a master of a craft is a dying art because you can get paid pretty fast now. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, have one podcast, which is a clickbait and you can get paid and straight away you're on the map. Mm -hmm. But, you know, back then when we were growing up, there was no such thing. So all people are trying to engineer now is that one moment, that one post, that one thing, instead of like saying, you know what, I know I'm not going to, hit it off overnight but over five years skill for skill no one can touch me and um i think that's what's hard to hire and hard to not just hire in your personal life what are people excellent at anymore mm. everything's so short term okay i want to do this okay this doesn't work let me do something else where are the people who have extreme value or select skills and a Intense way is very rare. And I think sometimes it's hard, it's easier just to, instead of trying to find those people, it's just to take on more work. It's not the right way, but that's just how I feel sometimes. Mm. And I feel like everybody in my position will feel the same way. Um, but it's not the answer. And there obviously is great people. And maybe we need to improve in our hiring strategy. Or I need to improve in who I let close to me. Um, but yeah, that's just how it is sometimes. Next one. Never trust a friend that's cool with the enemy. If they play both sides, they got to go. Oh, yeah. Childhood friends, long-term lovers and business partners included. Yeah, I'm, I'm cutthroat. I would say I'm an extremely nice person, but if you cross me, we're done. Um, Has that happened a lot in the past? Uh, not particularly. It's happened. Um, and, and I think normally it happens when you know you have a long affinity with somebody. So you've known someone since you was young or you worked with someone for a long time. And you, you take that time as loyalty. A lot of people don't. People see things differently. So if I've worked or known you for a long time, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt multiple times and uh, at your own respite sometimes, whereas some people don't see, they see it as like, oh, uh, well, because I've known him a long time, I can take the piss. I see it as I've known you a long time, so I'm going to value you more. I'm going to bend over backwards to value you as a friend or a partner or a, a staff more. I'm going to let you have a little bit more leeway or 
help you out more than I would somebody else based on how long I've known you. And a lot of people don't think that way. So I think the moment that you see that and as you get older as well, uh, you obviously, you start, your circle naturally gets smaller. And especially when you get to a certain position of life, you don't have to deal with that because mm. you, you're comfortable, whether that's financially or, or mentally on your own. So you just have less, less tolerance for these things. And I think once somebody shows you that side of them, that's who they are. So as I said in the tweet, especially if you have a problem with somebody, it doesn't have to be like beef or drama, but if you clearly don't like someone or they don't like you and that person is playing it civil or not being on your team, then they're not on your team. It's as simple as that. If they're playing both sides, they're against you. And that's how you have to look at things. And if they're not, then what's their intentions? Are they your friend or are they trying to do business or be friends with that person in the future? Yeah. And I'm not saying like, uh, make a tweet saying he's a loser or she's a loser. I'm not saying anything that I'm saying being professional and be, um, be, uh, you know, commendable. And, uh, but you've got to choose a side. Mm. There's not, if, if you're playing in the middle, you play for nobody. Do you know what I mean? And I know some people who are smart, they get a long way by playing in the middle, but that's business. That's not friendship. Yeah. There's a difference. And I guess going back to the situation with, you know, Lewis and I won't ever like, speak to Ben again or if I see him I'm not going to shake his hand whether me and Lewis are good or we're not good that's my loyalty my loyalty is with him uh, and I believe he Lewis is right so whether you're cool with me or you can help me or the future we're not mm. speaking and that's the same with anybody in my life if if you if you've had my back I've got yours even if we're not on good terms um, but I think a lot of people aren't like that now everyone like yeah like let me keep that door open I'll, I'll, sh I'll show it I'll show it closed Next one. It's natural and easy to be excited when things are new. People show love and everything's going smooth. But what separates the 1% is the ability to maintain their energy, excitement and enthusiasm year after year, even during dark and lonely times. Keep going. Yeah. Um, Have you personally gone through those periods of times when it's been like pretty damn dark and lonely and you think, oh shit. It's always like that. I know that sounds cynical, but it's always like that. I'm a very um, happy person. I'm very positive, never negative. If you ask anybody close to me, always the same. But the, of course, it's always like that. That's just being an entrepreneur. Mm. And also when you reach a le certain level of success, who can you relate to? Yeah, Everything changes and uh, that's the price you pay. And as I said earlier, I'm not going to complain, but it's always like that. So what keeps you going? Um, your, in my case, my enthusiasm to always improve, always to be better, always to criticize my work, whether that was six months ago or a year ago and say, no, it's not good enough. I can do better. That keeps me going. The progress of the brand helps. The progress of people actually helps more. Seeing people close to me, seeing staff, seeing family, being able to help my mm. parents, seeing them vicariously benefit off me is an enjoyable factor as long as they appreciate and understand that I'm fighting for you. And I had this conversation with senior staff. I'm like, they, they see what I do on a daily basis and they'll be the first people to say, I couldn't do what you do. And I say, and I've, I've, you've had your moment, you have your moments in business. And I say, and I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me anymore to be fighting and to be working and trying to learn as hard as I am when I'm already financially secure and I'm fighting like I'm broke and I'm only fighting for everybody, everybody around me, not myself, because I could take a check now, go and live happily ever after but I'm fighting for everybody. Again, as I said, I like to learn too. So it's not 100% for everybody else, but I don't need more money. I don't, um, I don't need any, uh, I've never cared for like 
uh, social clout or anything like that. As you said, I don't post, I barely do podcasts. So what am I fighting for? I'm fighting for everybody around me. And uh, it's almost the law of diminishing returns. Like I have to work 10 times harder to get 10 less, 10 times less reward now because. Yeah. <clears throat> it's the, the early days it would have been like, oh yeah, this is like the new feeling, new sensation. This is mad. There's no sensation. And that sounds cold, but the sensation is actually, it sounds weird. It's like, I know how to construct that trouser. Like I, I didn't know that, or I know how to, uh, I know how to bond a fabric or I know, I know how to style this trouser with this shoe. It looks small things. I get joy out of that. And I, that's like a constant improvement or, oh yeah, we can, uh, we can substitute this fabric and it's even better and it's cheaper, like the business side of things. And then we can, you know, increase prices and then, in, uh, we make X amount more on the bottom line every year or, you know, all of those small things, it's not about actually the money. It's actually, oh, I've identified that was stupid then and I'm not stupid now. And I know mm. that sounds weird to say. Um, or like I said, give a staff a pay rise or give them a promotion or help my dad buy a car or that's the enjoyment. So that that dark times or hard times or when it doesn't make sense anymore, that's what keeps me going. Next one. To stack funds, you got to miss fun. Absolutely. Actually, I was at the, the hotel before <laughs> and... um guy came over he was like ecstatic to see me and I said sit down have a chat and he was 26 I believe and um I was like you know as men especially your 20s are everyone's 20s are an amazing time um but as men we've got to provide we've got to look after our you know family future family and unfortunately those building blocks are done primarily in your 20s mm. and but those 20s are when you want to when you when we look the best and the when most you most energy and when you want to do the most and you want to be seen, heard, you want to go to the clubs, you want to, you want to take advantage of your use because you're only 21 and it's a very, very, a very, very fine line because it's a balance between ghosting and missing it and then having money mm. and not being able to enjoy it or um, go and go stacking, stacking, stacking. And uh, so, yeah, I've, I think I've done that from 22 to 31. People didn't see me. I've just been working. Sometimes even I'm like, oh man, I mean, I've done well, but I don't have a social life. Mm. Or, and I'm not social by nature, so it actually works for me, but a lot of people are social by nature. Um, but sometimes I think, oh, it's actually nice to enjoy the fruits of your labor with people you care about or your staff or even, for example, the store launch party and my staff go, oh, Reese, we're going to do a launch party. And they start laughing and like, you know, Reese, he doesn't care. <laughs> he would just open the store. <laughs> the store will be open. There'll be no launch party because I don't, it's yeah. not my style. But at the same time, I'm like, that's a big moment. Not just for me, but for everybody who's worked so hard on that project, you've got to do it. But then I'm like, I don't really want to invite anybody though. Like I only want my real yeah. close people there because I know. <laughs> you got five people there. <laughs> that's the thing. Like I'm so private and I'm so close with my friend. I'm not really going back to the business strategy I don't do influences I don't want favors I don't want you to wear it and say he's my friend like I'm happy to be friends but don't do me any favors I'll give you I'll do you favors but don't do me mm. anything because then you feel like I have to owe you something um, so yeah there's it, a price to pay on that aspect too um, I, I think you can set yourself a goal reach that goal celebrate the fact you reach that mm -hmm. goal and then okay let's get back and set another goal 
Yeah, dangerous cycle. You think? Yeah, yeah, dangerous cycle. What do you think you get too carried away with the celebration of achieving a certain goal? Like I said earlier, I've seen downfalls, whether that's in, in every sector, not just business. And it's a very slippery slope. When you're the man, when you've got money, when you're the woman and you've got money and you're attractive and you look after yourself and everybody wants to know you, everybody wants to be your friend. Most people can't tell the difference between who's real and who's fake. Most people can't tell the difference between genuine praise and I want something from you praise. And before you know it, you believe your own hype. You take your foot off the gas, you get invited to an extra show or an extra event. And then before you know it, the business is gone. And there's no turning back time. And I'm not saying there's people who can't find that balance. Clearly there is, but most people can't. And um, I believe I could find the balance, but I guess, like I said earlier, I'm not social. I don't really enjoy that anyway. So I'm lucky that I don't need that kind of pull. But I think irrespective of whether my personality is that way, I prefer not to take that chance. I prefer if I walk down the street in, in London or I'm mean, even here, people stop me. And they, if you, it's like, I'm a, if you know a person, if you know, you know, if you know, if you're interested in business, you're interested in mentality, you probably know of me. If you're not, I'm a stranger. And I like that. Yeah. Um, you got and the right people coming up to you. Correct. And uh, I think if you open the doors to that celebrity, everyone's your friend and yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery, dangerous slope. I've even noticed it myself, like where I would say to myself, oh, you know, you've worked hard, you deserve a bit of time off. Mm. So I'll take a bit of time off. And then it's it's so hard to get back into the flow again, mm. especially when, when it comes to creating content, whether it's doing the podcast or doing like vlogs, whatever it might be. Mm. I've got to a point now where I actually don't like having that time off. Like once I've found the flow and the rhythm, I want to keep that going for as long as I can do yeah. and just avoid anything that's going to, you know, take me off track. Well, here's a perfect example. This is the first time I've left the country this year. I've been in the office every single week, minus maybe one or two. Even when all my senior staff are on multiple holidays, long trips away, which sounds weird, like I'll be filling in their work and I'm the boss and mm -hmm. I don't have to. And it's the same thing as what you said. That flow state is uh, so productive. And once you break the flow state, it's a bitch to get back into. Um, and even here, when I am uh, wake up, I go to the gym. I'll be on the laptop until, I don't know what time, the time zone, but until like they're finished working at 3 p.m. So what before, I, at 7 p.m., I'll be on my laptop. Then I'll go for dinner or do what I need to do. But if I break that flow state, when I get home, it's going to be hell. Yeah. And to get back on track, I think it's going to take me weeks. So I just like, no matter where I am, I want to I wanna keep that state. Um, and again, going back to what you said about holidays, I see it all the time people get money and they're out of the country every week. They're here, there and everywhere. And I'm like, it's funny, actually, when I see this, I'm like, oh, you're, you're food to me because yeah. you know, you can't do what I do. Like I will resist that urge and it's a bit addictive. And again, it's not necessarily healthy, but when I see people becoming into money, doing this, doing that, I'm like, oh, you're not going to maintain this and you're leaving space for me. And then, as I said, there's no active competition. Even if it's a psychological warfare for me, I'm like, I know he's not doing what I do. So I'm confident I'm going to win when it comes to it. There's a there's a saying, isn't it? It's like, um, what is it now? I can't remember. But long story short, it's like, uh, if, you, if, you, if you're not practicing and you meet a man who's practicing, you're always going to lose. Mm -hmm. And it's true. And that's how I feel about it. Like, I know I'm always on it. 355 days, I give myself 10 days of slacking. 
And I know when I come toe to toe with whoever I need to come to toe to toe to toe in a business sense, they're going to lose. And that's like, people can say that's arrogant, but that's how confidence is created from knowing, being able to look in the mirror and saying, you, you did whatever was necessary. You paid the price and you stayed in that flow state for longer than the next man or next woman. Um, and that's what I think actually creates this level of success, actually. I think, I think you need it. And a lot of people overlook that and don't understand if you want to be to at a certain level, that's the price to pay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a crazy, I've seen, um, it's 10 years is a long time. You've seen so, I've seen so much, I've seen the behavior of so many things and I've absorbed so much things and it's always the same pattern. It's like people change so much and one thing I can vouch for, I never changed. And actually as the success got higher, my drive came more and it wasn't for money. It was probably the fear of failure. Mm. The more I took on, I was like, shit, this is a long way down. We've got to stay on it. And uh, I remember when I was younger, starting a business and I remember a few staff coming to me like, you know, in a few years, will we have to do this much work? I was like, no, no, we'll, you know, we'll hire more people and you can just delegate, but it never works like that mm. because the higher you get, the more you realize you don't know what, as much as you think you do. And then, especially in fashion. And I guess in your world too, it's like knowledge is like branches. Like there's always extra avenues or there's always an extra small branch and you realize, oh, and then that connects back to the master trunk and fashion in particular is, is very much like that from, first of all, you might be looking at product and then you understand fashion photography, then you understand videography, then you understand TikTok, then you understand Instagram, then you understand uh, how websites work and the functionality. And then you understand check out processing and finance and it all interlinks to making a better decision. And like, as time goes on and knowledge builds, you find yourself finding pockets of knowledge you just didn't know and you become better at your job. And then when you find that pocket, you want to go deep into the rabbit hole to learn more about it. And then it's like a never ending cycle of new rabbit holes, mm. which make you better at what you do. And I guess that's how masters become great. How artists become great. They, they learn this sound or they learn this sample or they, they understand their voice better or they understand who to collab with or it's, it's crazy how people continuously improve. But do, you think, do you think that sort of fear of failure is related to the football career that you had in a sense that you're like, okay, that didn't work out and I don't like how that felt because you obviously probably thought you were going to be a big time footballer. Yeah. Do you have that fear that, okay, I don't want to repeat that again. Like, I don't want this to be a flop. Like, this needs to work out. Yeah, I think regret is the worst feeling in the world. And uh, you only, you get you get one chance at a lot of things in life and I had one chance at football. And uh, like, I still, I still played in the football league for hundreds of games. So I was still very lucky in that aspect. And, you know, people kill for that too but not to the heights that I wanted. And I knew what I was capable of and didn't achieve that. And that was my fault. I had to look in the mirror for that. But yeah, absolutely. I think the brand was a second opportunity to be great. And uh, I don't ever want to look back and go, you know what? Could have been better or damn it, it fell off and that was my fault. So yeah, absolutely. And, and that's failure, isn't it? Failure teaches you a lot of things if you're willing to, you know, analyze what happened. But I believe... A lot of people's problems is, is that when they fail, they straight away seek the validation to of somebody to say, oh, it's fine. It's not your fault. And that keeps people in a loop of uh, no traction, no elevation. 
when I fail, I won't point fingers. I won't say it was the economy or I won't say, oh, someone fucked up or I was my fault. What did I do wrong? Because I'm the boss. I'm the direction. Everything I'm responsible, whether someone had a hand in it, it's my fault. I could have done better. So that uh, introspection and I guess taking complete accountability of all of the things that happen in my life, even when I shouldn't really, makes me good at what I do. And also, yeah, the fear of not taking accountability, which again, when I play football, I was like, oh yeah, the manager doesn't like me or this, there was excuses. And some of those things may be true. There's always an excuse, there's, there's an easy excuse for everything. And to be honest, some people's excuses actually make sense, but you still can't allow yourself to, to make yeah. them. And the moment you allow yourself to just say, oh yeah, but it's partly true, you're in trouble. You're just going to say, you know what, it's my fault. And, and I think regret eats people alive. And when you get older, your time gets, I mean, you can always be successful, successful no matter how late in life. But once you have kids, you've got other responsibilities, you can take less risks. Um, you've got bigger priorities, you've got less time, you've got less sleep. And then that regret starts to eat you up. And then not only that, it affects your relationships because you wanted to be this or your partner wanted to be this and you're both negative together or unhappy with how life panned out. And then before you know it, it seeps into your kids. Mm -hmm. Your mentality seeps into them. So I feel like you just got to be honest with yourself. Um, own everything. Yeah, and use, use the power of regret to to elevate you to never want that feeling and get you to, to where you want to get to. I like this one. You could be living the best years of your life right now, yet complain about trivial issues. Many falsely believe their career, love, life, and happiness will always improve as life goes on. Only in hindsight do people gain perspective and then pray for times they once took for granted. Yeah. Stand by that it's one. Like the, it's like the golden years. Yeah. Do, do you think you, you're living them right now? Absolutely. And that's why I go 100. So I always say this, I'm very honest um, to myself and to my, and I say to my friends, I'm 31, my hairline's still here just about. <laughs> I'm in shape. I don't have any dependence in terms of like my family. I've got a business which is profitable and successful and growing. If I don't go all in and take advantage of these golden years, when will I ever get that time again? Mm. And I think the golden year, I could have had golden years even earlier, but they're even more golden now because of, of age. And everyone's got a time frame, men and women included. And also everybody, well, most people want children. So uh, you've got to take advantage of your time and you've got it and you're free and you can, you know, mess around. And um, I've, I've seen a lot of businesses, they've been on a, on a crazy trajectory not understanding they're on a crazy trajectory, had a big offer. No, no, it's fine. We're going to grow bigger in the future. Not took the offer, nothing to show for at the end. Regret, pain, trauma, fix your whole life in the future. I've seen people in relationships with good guys or good girls thinking that they can always do better. And you, and, and sometimes in life you can't. And going back to what I said, is who you got surrounded. See, with me and my friends, if they've got a girl, good girl, I say, bro, you can't do better than that. Make sure you look after that one. Mm. I'll sell them straight and they will tell me straight or they'll say like, yo, you need to capitalize on that these next few years because the economy is going to restart and this is when you're going to get the most growth. But at the end of the cycle, you know, it's going to go back down. So you've got to capitalize friendships. If you've known someone for 15 years and they've had your back, and as I said earlier, you take them for granted, you're late or you don't say thank you or you don't do a favor for them and they have nothing and expect nothing in return. 
you're taking them for granted and you will never find, once you get older, you don't meet friends of 15 years ago. You meet those when you're kids or in your early 20s or, you know, you don't get to 30 and meet friends of 15 years, really. It's very, it's very rare. So you've got to take, you've got to, you know, own that look, own that moment because, as I said, regret is, is horrible. And I felt it once and I'm about to never feel it again. And also I would, I'd hate people close to me to think that, Oh, Reese doesn't value me or Reese doesn't respect me. And I show, I always very make a conscious effort to show people who have had my back. I've got yours more than you've got mine. If you've got my back five times, I've got yours 10 times because I value you. And, uh, I'm not going to replace those people when they go, when this business goes, do you think I'll ever be able to make another brand like this? No, yeah. I know that I'm not stupid. Will I ever be able to find a friend I've known for 15 years and has never done me wrong? Absolutely not. And I think you just got to value that moment and look. Look objectively, which is super, super hard. And also, like I said, don't seek the, seek honest opinions, like find a friend who's going to tell you the harsh truth. And a lot of people avoid that person or they will come to that person right at the end when they really need help. Mm. But in the beginning, when it could have been a prevention rather than cure situation, they didn't reach out to that person. Um, so yeah. If, if MDV takes off and it's flying over the next couple of years, like the growth and the profits are crazy. Mm -hmm. Would you think about selling? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it would be a hypocrite for me to say what I just said and <laughs> yeah. say no. Um, but then it must be so hard to say goodbye, I guess. Yeah, but everything ends. I'm cynical. Yeah. No, every, nothing in life is forever. Um, and uh, I was with a, a friend earlier. I owns a, a brand called Ben J Art. He's been doing it for 15 years and uh, the business are at different levels. Um, he respects me. I respect him, but he's got misses and kids. And I said, bro, like, don't look up to me as if I'm some God. You're the man with a happy wife and kids. So you're, you're the man here, not me. And I said, of course, I want those things and time and is everything. You can't rush those things. But if at 40, I'm a billionaire, but I don't have a family, I'm a failure. So what if everyone looks at me like a financial god or a business god? So what? And um, yeah, so you can say you can regret and the business can go on to do bigger things in the future, but you only need so much money. If I sell the business 100 million, 200 million, 300 million, whatever it is, what am I going to do with that? I couldn't spend that if I tried. Yeah. And uh, as I, I always say to my friends, and I even say to my friends that don't, don't idolize me in a business sense because you don't need to do what I'm doing to be living a very good life. You know, everybody wants a nice car, a nice house. And those things aren't as expensive as you think. But the, the current generation, everybody seems to be a millionaire, but she's far from the case. There's few people with a million quid. Fewer than ever, probably. Obviously, there's a f inflation and, you know, on that basis. But what a million can buy is significantly different to what a million could buy. 10 years. So the buying power is significantly less. Um, but everybody behaves as if money grows on trees. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think everyone, not everyone, a lot of people have got such big aspirations for all these numbers. And again, I'm very conscious of how the message I send to people, because whilst I clearly, I'm a businessman, I, I, fo I focus on making money. That's my job. Um, Obviously, as I said, not at the expense of other things, but it's very easy for me to sit here and say, oh yeah, you know, don't focus on money when I have money. But I can say firsthand that 
increasing happiness after a certain amount is probably negative. It's a negative happiness because as I said earlier, you have to deal with problems which money cannot solve anymore. Yeah. So as I said, be careful what you wish for. Um, but you know, if you earn a hundred grand, 200 grand, depending on where you live, you're living a good life. You just got to maintain that, that income, but millions bring more problems than they do cures. Uh, and then your level of taste increases, your surroundings increase. And before you know it, your disposable income as a percentage remains the same, if not less, because you feel like I haven't personally felt, felt this way before, but most people feel the need to step up to their environment to show that they're on par with someone who's got more money than them, which forces them to spend money they don't have to look equal, which puts them in a, a loop of rat race, even though they earn a lot of money. So you yeah, intend to do that. Me, no. I've always uh, classed myself as a, as a leader. I've never cared to follow or I, I always knew I'd become what I'd become. And even if I was behind in the trajectory of how other people saw me or saw whatever the business, I knew in the end I would mm. always be the winner. And that again may sound arrogant, but that's from being strategic for a long period of time. So now, as I said, when you own such a large equity and the profits are what they are, there's very few people who can talk to me in a business sense. I always knew it'd be that way. It just took some time. Um, again, it's not a competition, but that was always my end goal to have a successful business and have no one to answer to. I have no business partner to say, you kind of can't do this. I don't 50, 50. No, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Mm. I wouldn't go into a business venture 50, 50, unless it was with someone extremely more successful than me, which is possible, of course. But as far as England's concerned, no, unless it's, property or some construction guru, do you know what I mean? So I'd be so curious to know what you would do if you did sell it. Like, cause you, you're working, that's like a big part of your life all day, every day, almost. If that stops, what next? Well, man, that's what we have to do. Yeah. We always work. And, uh, I don't work for money now. I, I, like I said, business is my job. The job of a businessman is to make money. I work for improvement. So even when I sold, I'll just find something to be obsessed with. As I said at the start of the conversation, I would find a new obsession. It wouldn't make money. It just has to be an obsession. I have to feel like I'm always improving. Maybe I'll be a gym fanatic. Maybe I would go into construction, but I wouldn't care about the outcome financially, whereas I have to now because that's my job and I have people to to people to take with me on that journey. Um, but I feel like a man's role is to always work, to always build, improve, um, and we should work until we die effectively. Uh, obviously, a controlled work, you can't work like you do in your 20s or your 30s or your 40s when you're 50, 60, 70. It's a different work, but the application to evolve and should remain the same. Mm -hmm. But what I would do, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to know because yeah. yeah, I think it would be, I think it would, you would have a big void or I'd have a big void. And you'd probably set up another business of some sort. Or I reckon you get like crazy into something fitness related. Maybe. Because for those people who don't know, like you've got an impressive rig. <laughs> <laughs> you look after that. Yeah, that's one by eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably something like along that line. Something where I have to be in the 1%. I have to get every little marginal gain I can find at whatever cost, whatever time I've got to do it. Um, but you would leave a big void and I'll never be able to replace that. Uh, I've known people who've sold businesses and they tried to get back in the same field. You, it's the first, it's like your first love or your first kid. Mm. You'll never have that feeling again. It's impossible. And that's what makes people depressed actually, because you're always trying to fight that feeling of 
what you had and it will never come back to you. I've had people try and approach me for the business and they say, yeah, it's the ex-founder of X. He took it IPO he, and he wants that feeling of on the journey again of a new brand and it's opening stores and he will pay any price. That's what I hear. Of course, any price is subjective. Whether they will is a different story, but I get it. They, they are, you know, middle-aged people, older people. They've had that buzz of being the man being the, uh, the founder of that brand or being part of that journey. And when that journey ends, they're desperate for that hit again. Mm. It's like a drug. Um, I think the, the awareness of your inner drug game is key. I know that. I know I know the, the cost and outcome of every scenario. Um, and I know what's going to come. So I'm prepared for all of this. I guess even the situation or the life I have to live now, before I had it, I knew it was going to be like this. So going back to the dark times, I knew it was going to be like this. So it's fine. Um, I could handle it. I knew the pressure was going to be big. I knew the risks would be big. Um, I knew dating would get harder. I knew friend, new friends would be harder to come by. I knew all of this. So I'm not surprised now I'm here. And again, also in the country of success, when you, as I said, I keep saying, as I said, but as I said, when you know you're going to be successful and you, you genuinely believe it, when you see the money, you don't change because you already knew you had it. It just yeah. didn't, it wasn't there yet. And that's how I am. So you could give me a billion pound today. I'm going to be the same. My friends will tell you he's going to be the same. He's going to say, he's still going to say, I'm not buying uh, sweets in the cinema, but I will buy a nice car or live in a nice house. I will invest into a business, which makes sense any amount, but the small things or uh, the principal things, I'm still going to maintain that level of humility. Um, but I think you have to, you have to visualize the traps the feeling, everything before you become it. I guess that's, you know, law of attraction and it can be quite basic at times, but I think it works if you really, really believe it, not just write it down on a piece of paper and on a vision board and say, yeah, I'm going to have this. If you truly, without a shadow of a doubt, believe you're going to do something, you'll probably do it and you go all in. Did you anticipate that realistically the date, dating life and relationships would take a hit? Very quickly, guys, I just want to ask you a quick question. Are you taking supplements? And if you are, do you have any idea if you're taking the right supplements in the right amounts? You see, the more that I discovered about the importance of micronutrient supplementation and the adverse health effects of micronutrient deficiencies, I would constantly ask myself the same thing. I would go into supplement stores, load up on bottles of micronutrients and pop pills daily without really knowing if they were doing me any good or not. That's when I decided to try out Bionic. Since 2021, I've been getting my blood work done with them every three to four months. And once the blood test has been analyzed, they would put together a customized micronutrient formula tailored specifically for me. And this would last me for three to four months until I got my blood work done again. And since then, I've honestly never looked back. If you are also serious about performing at your best, preventing development of diseases and maximizing your overall health and well-being, I highly recommend you give it a try. And they've recently introduced Bionic Go, which is a fraction of the price where all you need to do is just fill in a questionnaire online without the need of a blood test. If you want to find out more or give them a try, head over to bionic.com and you can use my exclusive referral code BQMikeThurston for a discount on your first order. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, I mean, fortunately from a young man, I didn't, I was playing football, so it was kind of the same anyway. Mm. Obviously, it's a whole other level now. Um, 
because I imagine you have absolutely no issues finding <laughs> a woman. Even I remember I'd be scrolling through Instagram and my marketing director would send me uh, these models, like female models for potential campaigns we're going to do. And I'd just check like, oh, I wonder who they're following. Like, oh, following Reese, oh, interesting. I go on another one. I'd be like, oh, it's following Reese, interesting. <laughs> so so what, what do you look, I'm sure your DMs are getting hit up. What are you looking for when it comes to a woman? You know, you know what it is? I think you have to test people. And I, and I always say, myself included, everybody's nice when things are going well. But what about when it's not going well? What about when your business is under pressure? What about when you're stressed? What about when um, things just don't go your way? And you sometimes need a, a long period of time to see that in a person. Because if somebody's dating me, of course, we live in a nice place. We go and eat restaurants. I'm a very calm person. Don't stress people out. They're also probably thinking, oh, this, this, is, this could be a good life. And it looks a subject, but I, keep, I take care of myself. Of course, you're going to be nice. But what about when times are hard or you're stressed or the life's not going how you want? How are you going to react then? What about when we have kids? And unfortunately, with kids, you only know <laughs> when you have them. Mm. What about when you have your when we have kids and you have the ability to take me to court to take so much, who are you then? And I, I need a long period of time. And I, I'm very, I'm, I'm very observant of people's behavior in certain small situations, even things like how you talk to the waiter or how you speak on the phone to certain people who, you, you know, how kind you are or how thoughtful, or how attentive you are to things I say. I'm hyper observant to these things. And if I see one red flag, it sticks with me. Mm. Oh, uh, she didn't notice I don't like this or she didn't listen to me here or she's stressed so she's angry and moody because I'm stressed all, every day but I would never let my stress be took out on a woman because again as a man you're supposed to be their piece and obviously women can be your piece in a different way so I always I always try and test people for a long period of time and people may see that as strategical but like I said in the are you observing from a distance or both yeah. to the point where they probably don't know well, actually they do because people always say close to me cheeky observation on social media see what they're doing see where they're going what they're posting not that because I, I I wouldn't date someone who I could get from the first impression saw that's what they was doing I wouldn't date someone like that anyway uh, so when I'm dating you I don't I don't even look at your social media. I'm not interested because I've already assessed your character to that degree. Mm. But I'm talking about the depths of the character. The, the how Who are you really? Who are you in hard times? And that's what I try and figure out. And I'll be observing. And the, and people who date me or even my friends will say, he, he doesn't mean this, this, this nothing. He won't say anything, but he's picked it up and he's going to remember when when the time, time comes. And um, that's how it is. And it's very difficult. And like I said, oh, someone always does something which I'm like, I'm not sure about that. Can she be the mother of my child? I'm not sure she can handle the stress because being a mother is the hardest job in the world, way mm. harder than what we do, way harder than being the CEO of a top company. Um, that pressure of children, crying, lack of sleep, all of that, they've got to be right. And then when times get hard, you know, relationships get rocky, you know, the people change and people evolve. Are you solid enough to ride it out? Are you solid enough to say, you know what, here's a payday here, but I want to stick with him. I want to make it work. I want a happy family. I want. I don't want a broken home. I need to analyze those things. And it's very difficult to know within a year. 
It's very hard to know if in two years, sometimes you just got to go through it to see, but being a calculated person and, and, and I would say I make the decision a lot, right? Decision right a lot of the time. It's a hard, it's a, it's a high risk, high reward mm. situation. So it has to, has to make sense to me and until it makes absolute sense and the, the risk is low and the reward's high. I take my time. What's but, your thoughts on marriage? You think you get married? No. I I like the thought of marriage, but uh, in the Western culture, it's it's changed. It's yeah, it's changed. It's not what it used to be. And also, as I said before, people's motives—you never know until you sign that dotted line. And it's a horrible way to think like that. But and I have this conversation with you. You need to think like that. Though. That's the problem. Like because you you're worth a lot. You don't want someone to come in and take it all away, half of it. Yeah, I have this conversation with them all the time and obviously they're passionate about marriage and I completely understand. And I said, I understand because you're speaking from your perspective and I speak from mine. If you was you and uh, if you was you and you was worth a hundred million and I'm a regular guy who work in a regular job and I say, babe, I want to get married to you with no prenup so I can, so I'm, I have the ability to take half of your worth. Would you say yes? Well, maybe not. Okay. So it's really important to speak from see both sides is difficult, but to see other people's perspective. In uh, Middle Eastern law, fine. Of course, I'm a man. I'll always take care of my children and take care of the woman. If I if I committed to you and it doesn't work out, I've always got your back because at some point you had mine and I saw something in you special. So hopefully that they will be solid enough to, for, for me to always want to, and they'll keep the relationship strong enough for, for me to always take care of them. But yeah, I'm, I'm a risk management person, you know, I'm a mm. businessman and I don't like to bring business into relationship, but it is, is you, you, your relationship is a business in a sense of you are trying to make each other better and build something together, which is the hardest thing. A family, a solid family for a lifetime is, like I said, way harder than building a business that makes money. It's way harder. How many people stay together now? It's scary. And I'm a man of statistics and I, I like to think I can beat the odds, but I can beat the odds that I feel like I can control, but whilst you're dealing with human beings, there's no such thing. People mm. change and heads get turned. And yeah, so I love having, having conversations with guys who are they're either happily married with kids, and life looks pretty damn good. Mm. And I'm like, how have, like, how have you done this? Because I know it's not easy. Mm. So like, how? How have you been able to achieve this? And then the opposite, those people, who, the guys who've been divorced, they're miserable, they've got kids. I love to pick their brains as well and just be like, where did it all go wrong? Because I want I want to know as much as possible before I get into this. Yeah, I think it's a timing thing. As I said, mine and yourself generation, there was a chance of genuine love. We're obviously a little bit older now. Men typically date younger a little bit that generation is different now. They believe in different things. They have different aspirations and that is a disconnect in, you know, two people's visions. So if you manage to, you know, meet someone similar age, you know, 28, 30, you just still think like you, but if for whatever reason you meet someone younger, it's difficult. They don't think the same way. People who are older than us had no problem. So when they're happily married, they're happily married with two exact thought processes towards love, towards marriage, towards raising a child. So there's no conflict of interest. The social world is so far out of their realm, they don't even get sidetracked. And then the generation which is 20 and younger, wow, very difficult. So 
I think it's, again, I think a lot of things in life are luck and you've got to increase your chances. It's still a numbers game, but a lot of things, time and then luck. And I always say, if you meet someone, you are so lucky. If you meet a real one, you're so lucky. If you meet a real friend, you're so lucky. And that just comes by chance sometimes. And then what do they say? Love comes when you look for it the least. And I think that's true, but still luck. Mm-hmm. Um, but around my age, I don't know many people happily married, especially if they've got money. In fact, I don't know anyone. Um, yeah, I don't know anybody personally. Um, even in the celebrity world, like how many people stayed together? I saw today, you probably saw it. Will Smith, Jada Smith. That was a toxic. Or she was sitting and she was saying, oh yeah, we haven't actually been married for the past few years or something. Yeah. Everyone breaks up. There's Jay-Z and Beyonce, which have to, everyone has their problems. They had a issue. Be- Beckham's had issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously those women don't deserve what happened, but they saw, they they fight. They had a fight for their relationship and the men had to fight too. And that's, again, that's unacceptable, but that's life. And it works both ways, of course. But that's, again, a different generation. These are 50-year-olds, mm. like even celebrity couple, couples in their 30s, 20s now. Nothing's really solid. No. I think solid people are just everywhere, everywhere. People are so, they're so replaceable now with social media. I know. Like if you, if you're dating a really hot girl mm. and she's got hundreds of thousands of followers. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that goes back to what I said in the beginning. Um, you've got to have it. If you, if you've got an extreme value, um, you're very good at a few things. You are irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. And that's why I always say to everybody, my friends, just be very good at one thing. If you as a, as a person, be very kind or very attentive to someone's needs or be very intelligent or, you know, give good advice because a woman will value that or a woman be, you know, a really good mom or really caring or really thoughtful. Like those qualities sound so simple. They're free, but they're ever rare. So you say replaceable, but your only re- beauty is replaceable. Money is replaceable. Uh, even on a personal level, like, yeah, you can say looks or money. I would never hold my value based on those things. Of course, they add to the pot. Don't get it twisted. But what I do value is my calmness or, and, and people have said this to me, or my ability to give advice or ability to not be jealous, um, ability to help women get to what they do. A lot of men, especially men with money, what they do is they have a position of power. They start buying things or embedding their self in a woman's life. So, um, the woman can't leave. Every woman I've dated, I've made sure they can leave me. I've put them on with, with knowledge, with, uh, helping them out, giving them a bit business ideas. All of them could have left me a better, in a better position they did than when I was there, but they don't leave because of, they identify, oh, he actually wants the best for me. He's not with me just so I look good on his arm. He's not there trying to keep me in the house. I'm like, yo, do your thing. Like, I want you to be the best shoe. And I think that's what's missing. And also when I get close to women, they're not going to leave because of those things typically. Obviously, if they don't have that mentality in terms of they just want to have fun and they want to go out and they want to party, and they don't care about advice. Yeah, I'm not for you. If you are, then yeah, you value me. Mm. Um, and it's the same on the other side. I believe men and women are very different. We have different qualities. Again, it depends on the relationship dynamic. But the women I've met who are super loving, caring, good energy, good vibes, always positive. You don't leave them to. You know what I mean? Because you want them around. They're always, they're always 
they're just they're adding value they're just nice to be around they pick you up or they um make you laugh or they ask you if you want to drink little things like that or babe i know you like this snack so i got it for you small things and i'm like you know what she gets me she actually cares and that's very rare i just feel like now people don't care about a person it's just like it makes business sense mm. and i think as men like i can date someone who works in mcdonald's and love her for her i don't know if they would love me if i worked at mcdonald's so my intentions for you are pure so i need to make sure that your intentions for me are pure too but how will i ever know and that's the risk of the dating i won't know until i work with all due respect working at mcdonald's you understand so yeah it's it's a, it's a very tricky situation is there is there any businessmen that you look up to and you think yeah they're they're killing it and you've actually learned a lot from what they're doing not not like in my realm but like yeah, i said like overall in, in, the, in the in the luxury world obviously what amancio i Arte- know oh, it's not luxury amancio ortega's done with zara what um bernard does with lvmh i i try and reverse engineer those strategies and take snippets from them but i guess the, the good thing for all of the new wave of brands and you've interviewed a few we're all finding our feet you know i know we're sizable and notable but we're all just learning as we go along do you know what i mean so mm-hmm. and 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 i also say mentors are dangerous because you can listen to them too much like their path and your path is different it's different times as well what worked for them might not work for you mm-hmm. and as you asked me about luxury people want to be luxury but they forget the factor of 200 years they just think of the price point or you want to be fast fashion but you forget Sheen don't pay duty in VAT, so you're in trouble. Do you understand? Like, there's a lot of factors. So your mentor could have been the Boohoo group, but now it's, it's tricky for them. Um, and things change fast. So you just got to find your steps and take nuggets from each model, good and bad, and find your own path. You can't get too caught up in it. So no, I wouldn't say so. Um, even if I look at businesses bigger than us, they do different things. It's not like a business which... Is a similar price point. There's a similar product that I can class as rivals, which is a good thing. That's what you call a blue ocean strategy, isn't it? It's like you play in a, an, an ocean where you've got no sharks, whereas there's many brands of sharks all over the place. They're competing for the same customer and they all follow in their same strategy, which is going to cause problem. Yeah. So you've got to go a different route. And I think that applies to life in general. Especially now, everything is changing so quick, especially mm. with AI. It's almost like if 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 you have an idea, maybe you should just go for it instead of trying to do too much reading, yeah. trying to ask too many people, people or the mentors that yeah they had that they were killing it back in the days. Yeah, it's different, but the game has changed now. Maybe you might get put off. Yeah, you can by what they say, and you're like, okay, um, okay I'm just, I'm not going to take that risk. I'm just going to do the thing they did and hope it works for me, yeah. which it probably won't because the times have changed. Absolutely. Someone asked me recently, oh, do you think I should make a, a book for entrepreneurs? I said, well, you can, but there's no book for being an entrepreneur. Yeah. You figure it out along the way and your failures and someone else's failures are different or how you react and how someone else has reacted is different. In fact, they could have reacted a certain type of way in a certain time period and it would have worked. You react the same way now. It's not going to work. For example, uh, a lot of people held onto the influencer marketing strategy because it worked for brands in that period and they're still doing it to this day. That was 10 years ago. It's not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you've got to find your own path and that's what makes a good business and a bad business. That makes a good entrepreneur versus a bad entrepreneur. You, you are a trailblazer. You find what people do not see. You take risks that no one else does because if you follow the same map as everyone else, you get to the same treasure and the treasures are already took. Do you know what I mean? So I try, I read a lot naturally. I observe a lot of financial statements and I, I, I go, okay, well, who's making money? Who's going backwards? In this current economy, okay, Zara, keep putting numbers on the board and H&M's going backwards. Okay, what's the difference? Oh, Zara have got the best retail spaces in every region. Zara are faster, they're cheaper. Again, that's not my model, but I'm analyzing mm -hmm. what works for them. LVMH, okay, they keep doing well. They're luxury. They own all of the best brands in the world. They've got a conglomerate, a monopoly. Okay, no point looking at them. I can't do that. Uh, and then I'll look at brands around me. Okay, they're doing a lot of wholesale. Okay, they're heavily branded. Oh, this is a woman's brand that does dresses or tailoring. Oh, maybe there's maybe there's a spot in here that I've missed. Or a menswear brand does accessories and primarily in the, you know, putting numbers on the board. Or maybe there's a bigger market for a thing. So I look, observe, dissect, and try and find the factors which make sense for me and also try and find the the factors that make sense for them. So once you've owned a market, this is what people do a lot. They see a brand, it's working. I'm just gonna make I'm just gonna do what they do, but make it cheaper. But you, they own the market. You can't do that. Like it's like saying I'm gonna make a phone which does everything the well Samsung try it. I'm gonna do everything that the Apple does, but make it cheaper or add a flip screen. Yeah, but people buy iPhones. So there's nothing that you can do. You can't mm -hmm. take it away from them. Uh, same in fashion, okay, I'm gonna use this influencer and I'm gonna uh uh, change the hood to blue and that's going to be my point of difference is not enough you've got to have like six points of difference from the, the person you're inspired by to take their customer and those six points of difference also have to be good points of difference not points of difference to points of difference sake so it's really difficult to like have a mentor you've just got to find your own path and maybe in a business sense and like a fundamental financial sense okay that makes sense he, this business has an X percent margin, gives me headway, or this business doesn't have a huge headquarters and spending X amount on rent, or this uh, business has a good shipping tariff and they ship with this, you know what I mean? Like those things you can learn from um, because the rules apply to everyone else, but the strategy and the direction of your business is for you to figure out and you can't copy someone else's vision. You will, you will lose to them. Where do, what direction do you think the, the sort of the trends are heading in over the next couple of years? I think you will agree uh, the classy old money style is back in play. How many people can pull it off? I don't know, but the minimalist era is back upon us. Um, by the Laura Piano. Yeah, correct. But inspired by the show Succession. But we had a maximalism period of heavily logos, inspired by obviously LV and Virgil who is a trailblazer, if there ever was one. Um, but errors change. And, you know, after a, an era of being overwhelming, people want to step it down. But I don't know how long that will last because people are still very loud. People with money in entertainment don't want to be minimal. So mm. I don't know how long it will last. But then in the Middle East, that's how they dress. So again, going back to what I said, everything can be done. You've just got to find your audience. And um, me personally, as I said, with the London store, it's obviously heavily populated by the Middle Eastern and 
especially in the summertime yeah when that, <laughs> that was the direction i wanted to go down to like people less um susceptible to income changes mm. or mortgage rates changing like people had a little bit more class and i know class is subjective but minimalist they're happy to dress minimalist and look nice and it's more about colors and shapes um and also like i said finding the location for it is london in central london our top two cities are new york first and london second and that kind of makes sense for the product we make um a demographic mostly women and even if I, I look at the sales data every every week religiously and uh what i see selling now is this, the, the stuff that is the direction i want the brand to go which is the more classy minimal you can wear a cord and it with minimal effort but it looks super clean you look presentable you could wear it to work you can wear it in the daytime you can wear it for a dinner and it still looks good in all of those environments and that's how i try and like make those products um, but i just need to make sure that we've got those products aren't typically online shoppers they're not people who go oh yeah let me go and get this tailored right. set for 250 quid online especially women they want to know how it fits or even men i guess well yeah, if i'm buying trousers i gotta try them on yeah exactly risk especially my legs oh well, yeah <laughs> I, I was i was conscious of that because i made everything with waist adjusters because yeah. you know you might have big legs but small waist so unfortunately you know in terms of silhouettes i think this was inspired by covid everything's a little bit more relaxed now so the days of like really tapered things unless you're going to the gym of course and you want to wear a legging or whatever it's becoming more relaxed now which actually helps men shop yeah. because you're not trying to get a certain fit all the time now. You're a bit more open to a more relaxed fit. As long as it fits in the waist, you're good to go. Mm -hmm. um, so if all goes well with the opening of the London store, mm -hmm. where would number two be? If New, there is New be York one? for sure, yeah. yeah. We're already, already looking. Um, already looking at that. So, uh, And then to buy more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I need to speak to a few people. I'm curious to know how much the rent is in some of those units. It won't be too bad. Right. compared to, to to london and it's ridiculous mm. um but yeah where the demographic is you, you look at your data and you you make the decision based on what you what your data suggests of course you have to take some intuition into it but i think i've been guilty of this in the past who your customer you want to be and who the customer that you have is very different there's a big contrast so you're trying to attract a certain person but your data is saying different and you're making data, for, uh, you're making decisions based on the, that person and you really should be feeding the people you want to feed unless you really, really, really don't care anymore and you want to isolate them in the sense of what I did effectively. I didn't want that type of customer anymore. So I changed it and may have paid a price along the way, but it was all for the long-term strategy. Are you getting the customers now that you want? Yeah, absolutely so. And the stores will help that. Uh, as I said, we've... We've always been one of the fastest growing businesses, irrespective of the strategy change. So the future's bright. I haven't uh, exercised any wholesale channels. We've got no store at the moment. So everything's just pure play. Minimal reach, really, because there's no influencers. Um, so how do you know about the brand? It's just if you know, you know. And I guess a brand is a reflection of the founder's personality, typically. And I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that it reflects mine, but it's a controlled manner. And I think... The business is in control and personally I'm in control of, and that's how I just run things effectively. Mm. I've never been like a speculative person or smoke and mirrors, make yourself look bigger than we are, or let's take crazy risks and do this mad marketing project and it might pay off. It may not. I just thought, let me do this in a 
sustainable manner. And that's, uh, again, I'm not saying that's right, but I, w- I go to sleep well at night knowing that next year is probably going to be the same, but a little bit better. Not, oh yeah, we're on a 100% growth curve. And we've had that, but that was obviously due to COVID. But ever since that, it's just been steady, 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 becoming more efficient, tightening up on cost, revenue's growing, but profit's growing faster. Proper business, that's how we should do things. So we get to the point of like super, being super efficient and the, the EBITDA percentage is so lean that any sale we get, anytime I look at my phone and I see the sales data, I know we've made a good amount. There's no loss-making days. There's no loss-making months. Everything's profitable. Mm. And of course, you have to reinvest that profit. And that's why I've done the store now. Um, that's why there's enough liquidity to do five more stores if necessary. Even I had a conversation with my finance director recently and he was like, I know this sounds weird, but he's like, we have, we have too much liquidity. And obviously with inflation rates as they are, we need to um, deploy the capital. And it's obviously difficult because you can't be deploying capital for capital's sake. And I said to him, just take, let's take our time, get the store open. Let's review the sales data. Let's look how it goes for a year. And then if obviously you're going to get the initial buzz, so I'm not going to look for the first six months because it's going to be overinflated, but let's just see when it dies down, see what we're doing, see how, see how much margin of safety or profit we've got. And if it make, if we can make money in, money in London, we can make money in anywhere because the rents are obviously higher. Uh, staff wages are higher and then we deploy the capital and that's what money's there for. Obviously you've, you've, you've got to take calculated risks, but um, you also can't just do things because you've got mm. the opportunity to do it. It has to fit the long-term vision. If you had to deploy it now, what would you spend it on? Um, nothing. I know. But you have to spend it. The be- You know, the, the best thing in life is sometimes to do nothing. I remember when Lewis first sold, I said, just do nothing for a while. Because you can be busy spending money. This is applying to everyone. You can be busy pretending you're deploying capital or you're making moves. And before you know it, you, your capital got burnt and you could have just sat on your hands for a year, wait for that moment of like, this is it. Deployed more capital, had faster returns. Mm. But again, to answer your question, what would I do? Probably just make gamble on a couple more stores. <laughs> yeah, gamble on a couple more stores because there's not much I can do. Yeah. What I can't but you can buy a big HQ for what? Doesn't make you more productive. You can buy buy a warehouse. Um cost you a lot. You'll actually have a camp uh, you'll get a long term gain, but it'll take five years, ten years if maybe longer, depending on the yield. To, re- to get the return back and who's to say well, business is going to be booming in 20 years. I can I can see five years. I can just about see 10. I can't see 20. And also how my personal life changes in that, in that period. So I really don't know what I would do other than stores uh, because there's only so much, so much stock you can buy because there's only so much you can sell. Um, you can do all of the guerrilla marketing. You can do crazy campaigns and billboards, but there's... It's good for brand, bad for return. So if you've got really like that type of liquidity where you can afford to do it, that's a possibility. I could do that, but I'm too logical. So Uh, unless I can measure it or unless I think the intangible measurement is super, super guaranteed. For example, if I did a collaboration with David Beckham for argument's sake, it was a good deal. It was half a million, which is never going to be the case. I'll do that. Good for brand. It's going to make me sales. Worst case, easy break even. 
if he's 10 million, I'm not going to do that. Good for brand, but it's going to burn a hole in my pocket. So it all depends on the value, I guess, of the opportunity because price, business price is important. Like how much you pay for a service is important. How much you pay for that billboard is makes a difference, right? It makes a decision that doesn't make sense, makes sense. Um, if you've got a billboard in Dubai Mall and it's, you know, they're huge in Dubai and it's good value. Yeah, I'll just do it. There's no problem that's done if it's there's if there's no possibility of a return and it's just all ego, I'm not doing it. I've always said for many years, make business moves, not ego moves. And I guess that's also, of course, I have an ego. Everyone who's doing it okay in life or as creative and has an ego, but I don't let my personal ego infiltrate my business. I'll never allow that. If someone attacks me personally or whatever it is, I'm going to clap back. But if it's like a business thing, nah, mm. nah, because personal is just me i can defend myself but the business is people it's not me mdv is mdv and all of the people contained within it but reese is recent if i take it the fall the business is still good to go do you know what i mean i think that's a important thing as well a lot of uh people attach their name to their brand which i get works but long term it's it's almost a invisible shackles and it's, it's hard to get away from it mm. But whilst you have that opportunity, it's still a good platform. I always say see people, oh yeah, but you started to play football. Like one minute I'm a one minute I'm a fair footballer, next minute I'm a footballer in the sense of like, oh, you knew all these people or you had money, which I did know people and I did have money and it did help. But after the first year or two, there was no public figure driving the brand it was just the product in fact none of those people even show any love like I don't know the last time a footballer even posted I see NBA players actually people who aren't familiar with me or the brand or its, its story because I feel like once you get to a certain level people stop showing support don't they which is fine I, I, I get the psychological element behind it but my point I'm making is that it was driven by the business itself and what the business does and there was no person driving it there was no influencer or persona driving it. It was just the business taking care of itself. And as I said before, that's what makes me sleep well at night. I don't have to post. I don't have to stay relevant. I just have to make sure I make good decisions and make sure that when people buy the product, they get the value that they deserve, if not more, and they tell their friends. And that's all I ever focus on. Everything, the most, the staff will tell you, all I care about is the product to be designed well, desirable, fit well, and long-lasting. I will not sacrifice, even if they say, oh yeah, but this fabric's expensive. So we're not cutting corners. Um, if we can substitute the fabric for a fabric is good. Okay, I'm a businessman. It makes sense, but we're not cutting any corners. The customer's getting what I want them to do. And that taste level and execution level constantly evolves. Where is it manufactured now? China still. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the thing with China's... Uh, oh, the, the, the shipping costs and the time it takes to ship is a ball ache. Yeah. You go, so we plan like nine months ahead, which in fashion yeah. is supremely slow. That's how luxury operate. But we made that decision probably two, three years ago. And I said to the team, I was like, we can do this air business, but it's costing us a fortune. Your hard work is not being truly rewarded because the margin gets obliterated by the shipping free. If we're as good as we think we are, we dictate what people are going to buy. We don't ask the customer. We obviously, you got to look at trends. You got to look at data to some degree. But if you as buyers or me as whatever, buyer, designer, CEO, 
if we are half as good as what we think we are, we'll be able to predict what people want in that nine-month period. And if we get it right and it comes in by C, we also make considerably more money on the bottom line and everyone will benefit off it. Mm. Um, but it, going back to China, China's incredible. And as I said earlier, I've said that so many times. At least I'm good at linking back things I said. Um, do, do you know what's interesting that I didn't realize? So many brands get the bulk of their product manufactured in China. Then they'll get it sent to Italy just to have a little piece added yeah, yeah, or a little alteration. And then Looks they can it. legally say made in Italy. Yeah, luxury do it. I never knew that. It's naughty that, isn't it? I don't like that. But you, that, and that's the thing. Um, if luxury have transformed to China, it shows you what China is capable of. The thing is with China, what they can access in terms of fabrics, trims, or what they can create if you tie them to is unbelievable. And also with Europe and European mentality, everything's slow. They take ages yeah. to do anything. It's like 90 days to source or get a soul made or... It's ridiculous. We're in China. They've got that urgency about them. This is why they're as economy doing pretty well. Like they're growing and they don't have as much debt as we have or whatever. It's because all of the people have a mentality of like, let's get to work and let's have some urgency and let's try and improve and do things better than we did. Because when I first started to now, it's a, it's a different place. Like they will accept minimum orders. Like back then it was 500 everything. Now it's like 100. Okay, no problem. Yeah, you got to pay a little bit more on cost price, but you limit your risk. Their access to trims and, as I said, fabrics, unbelievable. And even construction, obviously, they're as good as you tell them to be. If you tell them this is the pattern, if you tell them this is the size spec, this is the construction, they're going to listen to what you say. If you tell them to do this and it's terrible, they're also going to do what you say. I think people think with manufacturers, you just, I found a good ma manufacturer. Uh, no, they're as good as you tell them to do. And sometimes you do get lucky where the manufacturer may have a pattern maker who's very skilled. And sometimes I'll have a pattern maker who's not. Um, and you may think that's a good factory, but no, that's an individual person. A factory just produces. You as the brand direct what the factory does and they listen to what you tell them. Well, as long as you pay, they'll do what you ask to do. And that's why it's incredible. Speed of shipping is good if you air it, costly, but those costs are coming down now. After uh, lockdown, it was yeah, yeah. crazy. Yeah. But now it's okay. Um, Do you, have you ever gone there physically to have a yeah, look around? Yeah, many times. Yeah. Do you think it's important for every individual that owns a brand to do that? Once or twice. Mm. Um, after that, it's same, same. Uh, you see the factory, you see the fabric market, which is the size of Dubai more literally, and you get overwhelmed with choice. Um, you see the trim market, which is absolutely hu huge. It's great for getting creative though you'll see a fabric or you'll see a trim that you like and you can apply that to a new product or um there's no big expo happening pretty soon in china they do every year canton fair yeah canton fair yeah. Mm. you been no but when i was there it was on but i was too busy with the schedule of what we had to do but i think that's more for like technology okay so like they you know what china are incredible they that on a technology basis they're coming up with new ideas and a lot of like the amazon sellers they go there to find the next products to sell. Mm -hmm. But the problem is everybody's doing the same thing. So it's it's quite competitive, but you know, some of those people kill it. Uh, yeah, but China's incredible. Um, I've tried everywhere. I've tried everywhere, but the problem is, is speed. And I know we plan far ahead, but it's not the speed of the factory. It's the, it's the communication. I'm like, I'm hungry. A, I email you, why are you taking five days to reply to me? Yeah, that's, that's what does my head in every time I go to Spain. Like, I can't work with somebody 
who has less than me and I'm working harder or replying instantly. Like I'm here, I'll look at my phone, I'll reply to you. I don't have to, because I'm on holiday. How can you be in your factory and still find five days to reply to me? Mm. It's a mentality, isn't it? And also that's why Europe's in trouble financially too. It's just a deep-rooted mentality of complacency. Whereas, yeah, even here, people are on it. Yeah. They are on it. And it's just a, how you're raised, like do a good job, work hard. And I just think that the Western world is becoming so slow, sloppy, soft. And obviously economies pay, pay the price as well. That's the, the proof is in the economy, isn't it? And even the UK economy is driven by foreigners. It's not driven by British people. And even when British people drive it, the government <laughs> would make it difficult for you. So it's, uh, it's crazy. I, I noticed that every time I go back to the UK, wherever I go, whether it's like a restaurant or cafe or a shop, everybody who's working there looks like they just don't want to be working there. Yeah. Again, enthusiasm. I think enthusiasm is such an undervalued skill. It's priceless. But if you're enthusiastic, I don't think I'm an enthusiastic leader, to be honest. I'm enthusiastic internally, but externally, no. We spoke about this with when you vlog, et cetera. But if you've got genuine enthusiasm outwardly, it's so infectious. I'm very, as I said, neutral. You've you got to make sure that the staff you hire for that store oh, are yeah. very enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? One of my, one of my staff sent me a TikTok from uh, Zara. And like there was doing a checklist of like how to hire for Zara. It was like moody, unhelpful. And I was like, well, maybe that's part of their brand image of just like, we are, we are the brand. We're not at your service, you're at ours. Mm -hmm. Luxury is very much like that. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was intentional for Zara. However, I don't want to, you can't start like that. Before, yeah. before you know, I'll be getting dragged on social media. <laughs> you know, it goes. Um, but yeah, enthusiastic is it really, as I said, with dating, if you're dating someone who's enthusiastic, you work with someone who's like, yeah, yeah, we can do this or no problem. Like you like the person and you want to give the person more when someone's like, oh yeah, but this, but this, you're like, Jesus Christ, just help me. Like, let's run the same, run the same mission here. Let's do it together. Cause personally I have a, I wouldn't like to say the word I can't. Um, I'm again, realistic. So I said earlier, can I become Zara? Probably not, but I'll try. But most things I'm like, yeah, yeah we can do it. We just need time. Let's mm -hmm. do it. Just let's work hard or strategize and get it done. But when I work or have worked with people in the past who are, but yet can't, oh, it's not going to last. It's not going to last. And I'm super understanding of how things take because I've done every job. So even when people say it's going to take longer than I expect, it annoys me because I'm like, I've done that. Mm -hmm. I will still do it. In fact, I say sometimes, which is wrong. Okay, it's fine. I'll do it. No problem. You continue to do what you do. Like, no, no, it's fine. I'll do it. And somehow it gets done fast. It's a proper momentum killer, I find. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be working with people around people who are like getting things done. If I have an idea and I want something to change or I'm like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. If it doesn't get done, then you're just like, oh, yeah. like everything just slows down and then you just get a bit demotivated. Yeah. And entrepreneurs move fast. And in, it's not just entrepreneurs, actually. People who are successful in a career or anything, in relationships, they adapt quick to change and you have to. The world is changing so fast. So... Yeah, just working with people. It, honestly, it's such a it's such a game changer working with people who just want to move as fast as you. But ultimately, you have to reward them because yeah. there's not many fast thinkers, and I do that for sure. Some of my staff have been with me for seven, eight years. A lot of them actually, and obviously they're all highly paid and get a lot of progress every uh, every year, and they're a part of the journey. And that and and I feel like they're 
on the mission with me there, there at night and day and going to war with me. But you just need to find more people like that. And it's very difficult because mm. I feel like, like I said, they've worked with me for, you know, years, half a decade more, well, not more, half a day, ne nearly a decade. And they didn't, it didn't just become like that. They had to earn my trust. I had to earn their trust too. Then I had to know, as I said earlier, about knowing people for a time scale through different pressures, good times, bad times. I know this person's coming to war with me. We don't always agree. We don't always get along, but I know you've got my back and I know, um, you know, I've got yours. And when you've got that person, you've got to, you've got to look after them because as I said, they're not coming. This, you'll find one every 10 years, I think. Mm. At a certain age, once a decade, you find a solid person. When, when's the opening date? Have you got it locked in? Uh, locked in, don't know about that, but mid-November. Uh, mid so it's close. It's starting to feel real. It still hasn't felt real. Because you're nervous? It's a little bit, but... Imagine if you open, nobody goes in. <laughs> See, I don't, I don't doubt that. But you know what I'm nervous about? Because, as you know, with building anything, this is from scratch, floors, lights, walls. And it's all very beige and very, like... Uh, not beige, like off-white beige tones. And the thing is with beige tones, you've got to get the tones right, otherwise you're in trouble. So I've been, uh, next to my window in my house, I've got the wall tone, the floor tone, the tiles, the, the counter, and they're all the same tone. But when it gets made big, I'm a bit nervous how it looks. So it'll be me being me. Like most people won't notice it, but I'll be like... Ugh. Perfectionist. You want the store to look exactly how you see it in your head? Yes, but as I've got older, I've become more willing to accept that that's not going to be the case a lot of the time. So I'm more lenient to minor things that only I will spot. I can't, it takes too much time to try and be 100%, which nobody can be, or even trying to be 95%. You slow down everything far too much. So I try and aim for 90%, 85%, because I believe my 85% and 90% is most people's. 150% because of my level of detail. So that's good enough. And I think that good enough mentality is a fine line because people's good enough could not be good enough. But if you've got a track record of producing good stuff or, you know, the numbers don't lie, or producing you, your podcasts are doing hits and you're moaning about the lightings out or the sounds just not this right. And you don't put out that podcast because you don't think it's perfect, but you've got hundreds of thousands of views. Well, clearly your viewers don't really care. Mm. So you're slowing down. Your, cust your customer, which is your followers, for something nominal, which they're never going to even notice. And that's what I learned to stop. Like, there'll be time when we're fitting a product to be like, no, I'm not releasing the fabric's not right. Or, you know, I'm still not happy, like 100% happy with the fit, even though it fit pretty decent. And I would slow things down. And I'd be like, no, okay, well, it's good. Like, I'm happy with it, but I don't love it. But then one thing I learned, I'm, I never love anything. And even if I love it, I love it for five minutes and I don't like it anymore. It's a creative block. <laughs> Honestly, I look at the website every three months and I'm like, oh, don't like the design of it or why did I make this product? And I look at the sales date and it's like selling a lot. I'm like, oh, well, the customer's telling me they like it. Okay, I've made this mistake. Okay, we're not we're discontinuing this now. I don't like it anymore. Staff say to me, but Reese is selling well. I said, yeah, it's just I, I don't want to do it anymore. And sometimes I'm like, that's just me being too picky. It's a good thing to have, but it's also a curse at the same time. <laughs> Um, you've got to find the balance and I've, I've been learning to find the balance as I've got older um, to not kind of be so 
obsessed in my own level of standards, but whilst maintaining a very high standard. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, you can get, I'm, I, 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 I am a perfectionist to myself, but I've learned not to be a perfectionist with others. Um, and I've learned that you cannot slow down the process due to perfection. You've got to keep moving. And that's how you learn as well. The faster you move, the faster you learn. So as long as you're producing great work, it doesn't have to be perfect, mm. but it has to be good, great, whatever. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a, a feedback loop, which is significantly difficult for me. Uh, also a good thing because it shows that I'm improving and I can look at myself and go, yeah, well, I thought it was good at the time. Clearly that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. You tweeted like if your, your views haven't changed over the past six months, or if you're not embarrassed by the work yeah. that you put out six months ago, then you're not, what was it that you said? You're not growing fast you're enough. You're not growing fast enough. It's true. Yeah. If you look back at you 10 years ago, you think well, you thought you had it under control. You thought you was a man. You thought you was mature, but you look back and think, no, it wasn't. Mm. That's, and then if you can look back in a short time frame too, even better. If you can really question your decisions or your beliefs that were hard-rooted as a child or have so, have served you well, that's another thing I find. I had this conversation about TikTok. I'm, I, I, I'm ashamed to say this and it's not shameful, but... You make dancing videos on TikTok. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely won't do that. But I was like, TikTok, that's for kids or mm. that's for people doing dancing movies and all the staff, they're younger than me, some of them, some of them are older. But a lot of them, even the older ones, were like, yeah, TikTok, I'm, I'm on it every night. And I, even when I'm dating girls, I'm fucking scrolling. I'm like, what is this rubbish? Anyway, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to I'm just gonna go on it and give it a fair chance. I was like, oh, hold on a minute. I don't actually see no dancing movies. I think it has changed from yeah. a few years ago. And then I was looking, I think, actually, I'm subconsciously learning a lot of things here. I'm 31. I'm not selling to 21-year-olds, but it's still important to see how the future generation think, how they engage, how they create content. And it's keeping me, I'd say I'm obviously in tune with the times. I have to be in fashion, but it's giving me an extra level of, um, of yeah, knowledge. And I, I said to my friend, I was like, never again. I'm never going to allow myself to shun anything, mm -hmm. especially as far as social media is concerned or where mass people are, because that's how you become one of those OGs who say, not back in my time, but times change. And especially in the industry I am, if I don't stay young in the loop, I'm in trouble. We're all in trouble. Yeah. Um, just from a mentality perspective, not clothes. I'm not looking at how they dress because most of the people on there, especially as far as my algorithm is concerned now, it's not what I want to sell to, but it's really interesting to see how people think. And you can get too caught up in your own ways. And I could be sat here saying, oh, well, it's been work. It's worked for me for the last 10. It's going to work for another 10. It won't. Unless I stay in time with the, uh, in tune with the cha the change of the time, but I, I was always super reluctant to do like the short short form yeah. videos, like for the start on TikTok, then it went to Reels on Instagram, and then YouTube Shorts, and I was like, nah, not doing that. Yeah, and that has no doubt damaged probably the rate at which I could have grown. Yeah, but it is what it is. I think I I stay very true to like my values, and I refuse to sell out and follow trends just because everyone else is doing it. You know, that that's a funny thing because I'm exactly the same, but I've learned again in recent times by keeping it so, you know, you, you think you're keeping it real, you think you're staying true, but no one sees it like that. 
They see, why are you not doing that? Yeah. No one sees it like that. That's a generational thing. My friends always say to me like, yo, why do you not post on Instagram? Do you dress cool or uh, why do you not go out? Like be seen or why do you not? If, they always say, if I was you and I had your money and I had your business, I'll be doing this, that and the other. And I'm like, no, that's corny. I'm not doing that. But then part of me thinks, well, people don't think, oh, I'm keeping it real. They just think this guy's a ghost mm. or this guy's weird. And it's, again, it's, it's finding that balance. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be doing dancing videos anytime, but why don't I post on TikTok? Again, even I, I find public speaking and I know I can speak, but I don't particularly like to post. I find it cringy of me posting a podcast clip of myself on TikTok, but that's me. Other mm. people aren't going to see it that way. I'm just too old school. I've been raised by like, yeah, but there's an audience out there that are going to appreciate that. And also I've never heard anybody say, Reese, you're corny. Yeah. I've never heard say, oh, like what he posts is cringe or attention seeking. In fact, they all say the opposite. Even girls are dead. Like, why don't you post? Like, you get more girls or your brand will be more well known. I'm like, yeah, it's kind of true, but no, nah, I don't, I'm not really with that. So I'm 30, nearly 32 and I'm like checking myself, like stop keeping it. Obviously I'll always keep it real to a degree, but people aren't even thinking how I'm thinking. Mm. Um, because you don't, you don't need that personal brand to grow in order for mm. MDV to grow. Like that's doing fine mm. without you. But in, in, in your world, YouTube shorts makes perfect sense. Like if I saw a YouTube short from you, I'd be like, yeah, why wouldn't he do YouTube shorts? Mm. And I guess people would look at me as a fashion brand owner. Well, why wouldn't he pass, post uh, images of his, what he wears? And I want to think about it. I'm like, that's so true. Why wouldn't I? Everyone else is. Yeah. But I just think, oh, you're attention seeking. But no, what? you you have you have a lot of wisdom to mm. share, which I think could help a lot of people. Yeah, it's, I'm always torn in my head by being low key, not talking too much, not being seen too much, heard from too much because too much circulation uh, circulation makes the price go down anyway. And also, like not loving the sound of my own voice and say that I've talked a lot here. Um, <laughs> But do you know what I mean? Like mm. I'm always torn, but then I, people will stop me and go, oh, when are you going to do more podcasts? Or like, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for your tweets. I'll wait for your stories. You're the only person who says, keeps it real and says what needs to be said and doesn't regurgitate the same old stuff that everybody says. And like, I know that, but I don't want to be seen as some, you know, corny ass, tension seeking male because I don't think that's attractive personally. Um, but there's a balance. I need to find that balance. Maybe I'll post your <laughs> clips on TikTok. <laughs> there, there needs to be a reason for it. And I think as well, like, it just depends what type of person you are. Like some people love the fame and the attention, other people mm. don't. Like right now, like you said, it's like, it's at a sweet spot. Mm. People who are into fashion, people who know, like they know who you are mm. and they respect who you are. And it's nice yeah. to be respected by the people you want to be respected by. Whereas if, let's say for example, you did blow up on social media, then life gets a little bit annoying like you can't walk down the street without somebody coming up to you yeah people are going to be filming you, have you. That, i guess yeah and I, th I think like for me right now it's a good point mm. and then i think but what if it continues yeah like what if you know i go all in on the podcast and it blows up and then like everybody knows who i am mm. and then all of a sudden the things which i like to do on a day-to-day -day basis mm. i can't really do that anymore like I wouldn't be able to walk down the street yeah, and just sit and have a like coffee that. by myself. I'd get hounded. I think like with people who are just superstars, like actors, I'd like The Rock that. or someone, 
the the they can't do anything. Oh, I would hate you that. can't even go on a date. No, your life is a movie, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny you say that because when I, I I think it was just in lockdown, we I started a podcast with Lewis and um, we did like three episodes, and obviously a lot of people found value because Lewis is smart. I've got things to share, and I remember. Um, I was driving from Manchester to London. I stopped at like a service station in Leicester, something crazy. Gone into Starbucks. Guy's gone, oh my God, I listened to your podcast. I'm thinking, it's only two episodes. Gone somewhere else. I can't remember where the, the next destination was. The same thing. You and Lewis's podcast was sick. I said to Lewis, I can't do this no more. <laughs> I stopped the podcast <laughs> and he was pissed off with me and understandable because he's different to me. We're different people. But he he... That, he had a big passion for podcasting, but it's hard work. Obviously, people are stressful. That was another reason too. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't want, I know when I speak, people listen and I know the knowledge I have to share is is lived and can be valuable. But I'm also very conscious if, if I do that too much, it will make me more popular than I want to be. Um, so like I said, I do one podcast here. I did this podcast this time last year in Dubai actually as well. Um so I'm very trying to keep the balance of like, if I do a podcast every six months and obviously different audiences and different fan bases and people take to me, then all of a sudden I've got more attention than I really want. Um, I, I kind of want my attention just to be like pure business and he's can dress okay. He's, mm. you know, he's all right to look at at times. But I guess one thing my friend said to me, well, you've got a store on Oxford Street now. It's unavoidable. And my finance director uh, said to me, I got, I got an interesting letter, put it that way, from an interesting, um, uh, like, entity. And um, he was like, well, this is, how it, this, is, this is your life now. Like, you created that and that's what you, that's the path you went down. Get used to this. It's going to get worse. And I'm like, Wow. Yeah, it's kind of true. I'm I'm kind of too far in anyway. So if I can try and ghost, but people are going to be curious now. It's mm-hmm. not like you're an online brand. And again, my strategy is store. So I guess I just have to own it whilst obviously not making the business reliable on me in terms of uh, me posting about the brand or me having to wear the brand wherever I go or whatever. But as a person, you're a person of interest. Um, and it's, I guess at some point it's unavoidable, mm-hmm. but I always wanted to delay that, but I guess at some there's, point. There's, there's pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I think that the, one of the pros is you'll get some really cool opportunities that come your way. Yeah. And maybe some people who you uh, respect or look up to all mm-hmm. of a sudden they want to meet you. Yeah. So that's a cool thing. But then there's just obviously a lot of headache associated with it as well. Yeah. And I think in the UK... I don't know when you when you're on top in the UK, people just want to they want to see you burn. Oh yeah, that keeps me motivated too, though. I know that for sure. Um, but I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, as I said, if everyone loves you, you're in trouble. Uh, I've always been fueled heavily by that envy. I've had it since I was a young boy. So for me, it's, even in school days, uh, high school sweetheart. I'm talking to her, someone else wants to fight who's older, no problem, let's fight. Okay, football, oh, he dresses a certain type of way. Why is he so flamboyant? Okay, let me try and block him. Okay, you're going to see. It's always the same for me. So 
I've learned to harness that and embrace it and turn that into a fuel. So I'm actually like, whereas in the US, the, oh, he's so, he's so cool or mm. I like the way you dress or your business. Oh my God, it's amazing. In UK, I don't get nothing like that. So like I said, it's a blessing and a curse. If I did have all of that side and I don't, maybe I believe my own hype a little bit. I think I said on Instagram the other day, my biggest success today is I'm still normal. Despite mm. the fact that I can have whatever I want, I'm still so down to earth. Confident, yes, but so normal. Like you can stop ministry. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to be polite. I'm always nice to everybody. I didn't let anything get to my head. I didn't let it change me. I didn't think I'm bigger than, you know, the big I am. I didn't think I'm untouchable. Um, I still um, f super polite to my staff. I always um, speak to them as if we're on the same level. And I, I, I'm proud about that. But again, fame does crazy things to people more than money. So especially when it comes to them quick. Oh, yeah. I think, you know what? You're right there. That's why I'm not changed because it came slowly. It's very yeah. gradual. Yeah. That's what people say to me. They say, oh, if I had your body, I would, I would just have my top off all the time. And I, I just look at myself now and it's just so normal. Yeah. Because I've looked like this probably like 13, 13, 14 years. Yeah. Yeah. You... And it's just, it's just so normal that yeah. I don't, it doesn't even phase me anymore. And even with like the social media thing, it's not like overnight it happened it's been a very 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 gradual thing i think when it happens as well not just the time but the the age of occurrence that these things are happening like i came to the point of i guess fuck you money when i was 28 29 but i've already experienced women from playing football or being a young even before football i always experienced what it was like to have attention or i always experienced like to what it was to feel like the man because when I was 19 I was the man in that field because I was an up and coming footballer I already had that feeling so it wasn't like I lusted for it afterwards I was always like oh, I, I get that I don't really care for it and now I really don't care for it all I care about now is internally knowing I got my shit together that I am who I think I am I am the man that I said I would become and that self um, that self what's the word I'm looking for like Self-validation, I know I am who I am and I say what I am and what I portray is who I am. And that that's all I ever cared for. And I believe that now. So, and I always knew I was on the, the way to become that. And I think you've never fully arrived, but I think the perfect time to test someone is when they have everything and they don't need anybody for anything. And can you remain pure, kind and down to earth? And I feel like I have. So that is, yeah, I'm I'm proud of that. But yeah, no, no more celebs. <laughs> yeah, man. On that note, I'll wrap it up. Uh, anything else happening apart from the big store opening? No, business as usual. Hustling as, the, as, as usual as the game goes. And people can find you on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And with the, the clothing shipping worldwide? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. Nice, man. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you very much, on. man. Pleasure.